2: Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll, I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, and I'm joined today by that guy right there, Vince D'Addario, our football analyst at Irish Breakdown. And we're going to talk today, Vince, about the Notre Dame defense. Yes. This is going to follow the same format that we had the other day. We're going to talk about the things that we – now that we've got you know 14 practices under our belts of the practice videos plus the conversations we've had with people off the record about what we're seeing, what we're hearing, then the blue-gold game. You know, what are the things that we feel like we've learned – about mm-hmm. this defense, mostly positives, you know, things that we feel good about, maybe some questions that were answered, some some things we felt good about that were now have been confirmed as strengths of this team. And then we'll also bring up some question marks that we still think exist. And, and I think that's every team has question marks at this at, in May. And Absolutely. so, what are those things that will need to get figured out over the course of the summer? And then the things that'll have to get answered as we go through fall camp, and so those yep. are that's going to be the the point of today's show. This is going to be more of a podcast video in the, our podcast format. So essentially, what y'all have learned is we have basically two formats of our show, and this is more for the YouTube. The people on the podcast aren't listening to it live. This is more for the YouTube aspects of it. So when we do a podcast format, it is just us doing our podcast, and we're doing our podcast live, and we're you know, so that way people can join so we can have Q&A afterwards. If, yeah. you, if you have a comment or a question that you would like us to address during the podcast form, feel free to throw a super chat in there and we'll get it in there, okay? Otherwise, what we'll do is at the end of the podcast, when we're done with sort of our show, we will then open it up to the Q&A. And then you can talk about what we talked about in the show. You can talk about whatever you'd you know you you'd like to talk about. But obviously, a lot of it will be focused on what the topic is today. Sure. So that's the format of what we're going to do, Vince. So Vince, I think the first thing that we learned about this defense is Marcus Freeman respects the job that was done by the coaches before him. Mm-hmm. There was some carryover from what they did before, but it is very clear, even from what I viewed as a very limited defensive game plan, it was still obvious that this defense has got Marcus Freeman's DNA all over it from a, from a conceptual standpoint from a philosophical standpoint, sure. and then from just an attitude standpoint, this is clearly, clearly already looking like a different, a different group in, in some very important ways.
1: Well, and and I like the um, it, it's funny how different styles you can have when you play defense, right? You've got the Bob Diaco kind of keep everything in front of you, base defense kind of thing, you know, rely on your D-line, etc. Um, you've got the, the John Tenuta, we're just gonna blitz everywhere for no reason, j- just to wreak havoc, um, which was kind of my philosophy as a freshman football coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> he wasn't coaching freshman football in high school. Then you learn um, how bad that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it worked well against 14-year-olds, right? Um, mm-hmm. but uh, and then then there's the Clark Lee, which was kind of a combination of different things. Uh, and then, and then you've got Marcus Freeman, and Marcus Freeman clearly. Is going to take a more aggressive approach, uh, but more – but a less – and I don't want this to sound like a bad thing, but a less cerebral approach. Yeah. Like he's he gives the guys what they need to know, and then he lets them play. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's better or worse than what Clark Lee was doing because clearly Clark Lee took this defense yeah. to a whole new level. There's no question about it. It's just different. And right. people, even non-football people who watch Notre Dame this fall are going to notice. They're going to notice right. a difference – from this defense, and there's a lot of the same characters out there um, who are going to be performing in, in a different way. Uh, and I think a fun way. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
2: I'm going to steal and kind of tinker a phrase that we're both familiar with, Finch. Uh, it's structured chaos is yeah, how I, I would like, like that, to look though. at it. Yeah. The structure is what the defense is. In their minds, from an assignment standpoint, there's a lot of structure to what they're doing. To the offense, it's going to look chaotic, which makes it difficult to, to handle. Mm -hmm. the 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 difference is is john tenuta and brian van gorder's systems were just chaotic Mm -hmm. which meant a lot of blown plays a lot of missed assignments and a lot of those kind of things it was unsound football what i see from marcus freeman's defense it's very sound football but if i'm looking at it from an oc or a quarterback's point of view it looks chaotic yeah there's pressures coming from all over there's line games there's twists Yes. Now, when I broke down Brian Van Gorder's defense, he did a lot of that stuff, you know, different blitzes, but it was very unsound. It was very Mm -hmm. as an offensive coordinator. I'm thinking I'd pick that apart. I'd pick that apart. I'd pick that apart. And that's why even early in 2014, Vince, you'll remember, I was very critical of Brian Van Gorder's defense even early in 2014 when they were having success. Because what I said was there's a lot of unsound stuff going on here that eventually teams are going to figure out and start to shred. And as we saw the second half of that year,
1: that's exactly what happened. I want to ask you a question about his defense, because we, what we heard a lot from the players and the parents and things was that it was a very complicated scheme, mm-hmm. right? So can you explain the complicated part of the scheme in which, like, are they trying to run their defense based on what the offense is doing at the snap of the ball? Or, yeah. You know, is it not just a well, call and go? Like, what, why was it so, so complicated? So I'm going to say this.
2: Clark Lee and Brian Van Gorder were cut from the same cloth. The difference was is Clark Lee was really smart and really good at what he did, and Brian Van Gorder was not. And what I mean by that is as we saw Coach Lee's defense evolve at Notre Dame, it became more complicated than it was early. And, and that's, to a degree, good coaching because he didn't start off that way. It's like, hey, we need to make sure that everybody understands it. I also think part of the reason he got a little bit more complex in 2020, if we're being honest, is because he didn't have the same personnel he had in the back seven, the back four, really, that he had early on when he had Troy Pride and Julian Love and Alohi Gilman and Jalen Elliott. He could just let those guys kind of take over and play games and shut people down. He had to protect the secondary. Well, how do you protect the secondary? You got to make sure you're always in the right calls. You have to be you know, more, more, you have to be more perfect. You, I mean, right. Yeah. And so that's partly why we saw more from Coach Lee. Now, the difference is, is Coach Lee did it in a very sound way. It was a lot on their plates, but it was very sound. And also, there was always some continuity to his complexity. What I mean by that is there were certain principles that were complex, but they were they were going to carry on throughout the year. I have been told by multiple sources, including people that used to coach at Notre Dame, that Brian Van Gorda would just come out after a Wednesday practice and just throw out everything they had been working on and start over because he didn't like it. No foundation. That's insanity. No. Yeah, that's
1: insanity. And, and they
2: would that's... they would literally change the defense week after
1: week after okay. week. Which is
2: where do you, what do you do? You do that in the NFL, sure, when that's literally
1: your job and that's you all have you do. all day to learn things. Right. You I mean, you have two hours a day with these kids, you right. know, to be on the field and then X amount to be in the classroom because they right. have actual class and, and right. things to do. So. Yeah, you can't do that in the college. So
2: level. and so with those schemes, it was a lot of if they move, if they if the if the receiver is four yards from the tackle, it, you're going to make a check if he's five yards from the tackle. Gotcha. It, you know, if if the running back is to the left of the quarterback and he switches to the right, that could result in us audibling what we're doing because that changes our our coverage structure. Because now mm-hmm. if he free releases to the right. It changes everything. So there was just a lot of that kind of stuff. And and you'll still have that stuff in the Marcus Freeman defense. I mean, sure. you have to make strength checks and all those types of, of things, emotions and whatever. But there was just so much involved in Coach Lee's defense, especially this past year. Now it's here. We have a foundation. We have a structure. But at some point in time, we have to let these guys just go. Just go play. And, and, and even though that's why I say it's a structured chaos in mm-hmm. that there is very clear. Here's your responsibility, but within that, there's also a notion of you've got to go find the ball. And here's a perfect example. I'm going to ask the people listening to the show this question, and 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 we'll, we want to hear what you guys have to say. And and uh, by the way, this is this is great, right? By the
1: way, that, that's he's that's not wrong. He is not um, wrong. I've taught in middle school. He so, is not wrong.
2: So so here's here's an example. I'm gonna ask you, Vince, this, and I'm gonna ask people, other people, this, because I had this conversation recently. Did you ever notice, especially the last couple of years, but even going back to Tranquil and Tavon Coney, that there were times where it would be like, why is the linebacker running right into this guy when the running back is running right past him? Right, and, and right. that happened right. a lot. Right they're Classics. not tackling well, the
1: ball. They're not paying attention. They're, they're just covering they're, the space. Exactly. And that's not because, how you play good
2: defense. Right. And, and that's why I've said in the past, that's why it was so much more of a safety-driven defense. Because sure. the safeties had to make sure, to sure that if – yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas now there comes a point in time, where you're like, yes, you ha- we have to be gap sound. And of course, and, and when Marcus Freeman says that we're going to go, we're, n- we're not going to be about football, we're going to be about football, he's not saying like the A and B gaps are both going to be uh, unoccupied because we're, <laughs> we're, you know, that's not what he's saying. But what right. he's saying is there comes a point in time as a linebacker that you have to say, hey, yes, I'm hitting this B gap, but what's my number one responsibility? Not to hit the B gap. My number one responsibility is to get to the football.
1: Yes, absolutely. And there has
2: to be some soundness. Now that doesn't mean you can freelance and do all these other kind of things. It's more. It's right. just about being focused on the football as opposed to being focused on what's my assignment. Does that make sense? That
1: makes and you sense. You have to me, marry yeah. those
2: two things together. And then also the other thing is it's just it's going to come. But this is where the structure comes from. When you're bringing a corner fire one play and a safety blitz the next and a and a double inside, you know a a, a Mike Will twist stunt with the nose. Those are going to look like all these different things are thrown at them, but it's 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 part of a core philosophy that they have of being aggressive, and they're always going to have someone inserted as the fourth person on the defensive line, if not a fifth person on the defensive line. It's just a lot with the different looks that they have. It's sure. going to come from different people. Sure. And that's why I say there's a lot of method to the madness. If you mm-hmm. If you study it, it makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, from an offensive standpoint, it looks like a lot of million different things and that's where it looks chaotic. And, and we're seeing that already from Marcus Freeman's defense. We saw it in this, in the high practice videos. Right. And we especially saw it in the game. Cause then we could see everything from, you know, the all 22 standpoint in, in the, in the press box. And then you could even see a lot more uh, on the, on the, the game film than, than maybe you can in other times too. So that's, that's the biggest takeaway for me, Vince, from this spring is, is just overall I love what I'm saying from it. Now yeah. it is it's more it's a more aggressive philosophy, which means there are times they're going to give up big plays. They they just are. They're yeah. going to give up a few more big plays, especially downfield pass plays, in one on ones. But the trade-off is they're going to make a lot more plays, and so, so you're going to see a lot more play action play. in the backfield. Exactly, I, so, I think. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And also that is going to then result in more rushed passes, more hurried throws, right. more turnovers, those type of things. So that is another part of it. Here's number two of what we learned this spring, Vince. And that is, is so far, it seems like the defensive line is every bit as good as we thought it would be, if perhaps
1: not better, because some backup
2: players had really good performances this
1: spring. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I had it's funny because I had defensive depth is real, like written down. And of course, my eyes were were going more towards the defensive line on that. But then I also had it in the questions. But it was more of a positive question, mm-hmm. right? And and so we, we can talk about it now if you want, but how good can this defensive line be? Yeah. Like, what is the ceiling? Which is a great question to ask because mm-hmm. I think that they're going to be really good. But what's the ceiling? Like, how good can they be? You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a legit question right now because yeah. there's a ton of talent there. We saw the depth in the blue-gold game. We knew the talent that was there, I think. Uh, but to see it kind of play out in the game was exciting. Um, I just, I think this group as a whole can be elite. Yeah. Um, just how good can they be, and that, yeah. that's going to be a fun question to figure right. out and, the answer to. As and we your question
2: forward. is, and your question is, is sort of a well, are they going to be just good, are they going to be great? No, it's they're going to be at least very good. Yeah. But can they truly be elite? That's the question. Right. And right, I, I did, I brought my midweek musings back this week, vent. So we're now reinstating the midweek I musings. Saw that. And and the the topic of today's article so you can find it at, at you know right there irishbreakdown.com uh, <laughs> the topic was who are seven sophomores not named Tyree Mayer or Clarence Lewis that could have an impact this year you know and I, and I talked about Jordan Petelho and Riley Mills were two guys that that I brought up and 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 now of course you know Fosky's a junior now so he's old hat it's time to pass him aside and and focus on the younger players which is we're happening with some some fans which I always kind of get a kick out of. I know, right? But, uh, you know, but Foskey had a great spring. He's going to be the Viper. Then you have Jordan Patelho, who also had a great spring. I thought He he has a really great great. blue-gold game. Yeah. And now you look and say, okay, now you've got two guys at Viper that you're really excited about. One of them played a lot of middle linebacker in college, in high school, can play off-ball.
1: So you can uh, yeah, gives you, can can you use options. Foskey yeah. is a
2: big guy. He's 250-plus. There are times where maybe you could use them as outside guys. You can use them stacked right behind each other in certain mm-hmm. looks. You can then use them to rotate. Because imagine being a left tackle when you're in the fourth quarter and your team's got to make a game-winning drive and you're on snap 65, 66, 67, 70, and so forth, and Foskey's on snap 30 and Jordan Patello's on snap 30. Right. Or thirty-five and twenty-five, and, and that's how you put games away late. Correct. And we saw how that benefited Notre Dame in twenty eighteen.
1: Right, that's where the and depth comes. How in. many yeah, right. times
2: did did either it was either uh, Aquara, Hayes, Kareem, somebody made this big, huge play in the fourth quarter? Sure. Remember how how just Michigan's linemen just could not block Notre Dame's ends at the end of that game. Pitts' linemen couldn't block Notre Dame's ends. Why? Because they had this deep two man rotation. So. You know, Khalid was on snap 45 and their left right. tackle was on snap 70. Right. And, and so that's why the defensive line could put those games away. We saw it a little bit this year against Clemson late in the game when Clemson had a lot of problems down the stretch blocking Notre Dame's ends because they were fresher. And they're, they're the ones that made the plays won. in overtime. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. And so we're in a similar situation this year. And it's not just that Viper end. Riley Mills had a great spring and Jason Adamiola had a great spring. That's another situation where you're going to have a great rotation there. You they're both a little undersized. They're both sub two ninety. So now you don't have to play them fifty plus snaps each. You can rotate them, keep them fresh for the same reasons. And because they are guys can both play on the edge, there are circumstances where you could both you could play both of them on the edge. You could go Mills on one end and Adamiola on the other end in a three three look. And you could maybe even drop you know Foskey or Padelho, and then you've got your nose. And so there's just it, it gives you so many different options you've got you've got Myron Tungvaloa who had a great spring well you know what so did Justin Adamiola which means now there's times where you can move Myron Tungvaloa inside in pass rushing situations and put Justin Yeah. you now have I mean honestly and here's the thing we didn't see Jacob Lacey this spring we didn't see Gabriel Rubio for half the spring I mean you know Howard Cross had a big spring but you're going to get some guys like Rubio and 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 Lacey, they're going to get thrown into this conversation. We saw Nana Osafa Mensa flashing. Yeah. The depth of this defensive line, Vince, and this was one of your, of your takeaways from the entire spring was, the depth of this defense, especially in the front seven, is as good as I've ever seen it at Notre Dame in Agreed. my adult life. I yes. can't comment on what it was like in 88 or 93. I was 10 and 15 when Notre Dame had those teams. I could enjoy them as a fan. Sure, but not as an you're not, as a, a person you're doesn't not diving
1: the depth of each position. Yeah, this is
2: by that. far the, and I'm not just talking about numbers. I'm talking about dudes that like Notre Dame's sure. third string strong side end was a top 250 recruit coming out of high school in Nana Osafomente. You know Jacob Lacey, who was a borderline top 100 recruit, is going to be battling to get into the two deep next year. Think about that. Yeah, Gabriel Rubio, three years, four years ago in 2017, plays 40 snaps a game as a true freshman now as a true freshman as a top 100 recruit he should be battling for any playing time yeah the depth that this team has up front Vince is amazing which means number one it's less pressure on one guy to always be great the question to your question is is okay now can this group go out and take games over in the fall that Mm -hmm. still remains a question because they were going against an offensive line that had that that's got some struggles it's behind the eight ball How good are they going to be? But at the very least, I think this is a very good group. And I said before the spring that this defensive line has a chance to be Notre Dame's best of the Brian Kelly era, which is saying something.
1: It's absolutely saying something. And and I'm
2: excited because I feel more justified in saying that it could be that way than I did even before the spring. Sure. Now it's just – now it's show me time. Now they got to go out and do it. But they're also in a position, Vince, where they are better able to sustain an injury than they've ever been. Good point. And and that's the other part. You know, so – Let's just say hypothetically one of the D tackles goes down. Okay, well, now you're in a situation where what? You move Howard Cross over there? You bump up Gabriel Rubio? I mean, you're, you're going to be fine. Sure. And, and and the fact that we didn't even think about, oh, yeah, you know what? Jacob Lacey didn't practice this spring. And we're kind of – it's like an afterthought. Four years ago, that would have been devastating to the depth chart. Like they were playing walk-ons at, you know, yeah. at, at nose tackle. So I think that is something. And, and look, I don't think this is ever going to change in football. It hasn't in my lifetime. If you want to be a championship team, you better be good up front on defense, and 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 I think Notre Dame has a chance to be to be outstanding on defense.
1: Well, and I, and I think that that was what was holding Notre Dame back um, during some other seasons was the. And I'm referring to like the defensive line mm-hmm. in particular. Um, I think there was a there was a point where the the common attitude was that Notre Dame can't recruit good defensive mm-hmm. linemen. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think that's obviously gone by the wayside, uh, based on the last few years. Uh, you know, from what this defensive line has been able to do. They've had they've had some sparks, you know, they had one guy mm-hmm. or one and a half guys, you know, that, that are really good. Or a, but, a really good
2: starting lineup with no like no twenty
1: twelve. You had Cap, you had uh
2: Lewis Nix. you had Stefan toit, and then you had one good backup in Sheldon Day who's a highly ranked guy, but he was a true freshman. And then after right. that Tony Springman. It was the late Kona Schwenke. There was a drop-off between the starting lineup. I look at 2015 as another example, Vince. You had Rochelle. You had uh, Jerry Tillery. You had Sheldon Day. And you had Romeo Aguara. Four NFL players. But then what was behind it? Right. There was a big drop-off. That's to your point is they've never had a line that across the board has this kind of depth. And even in 2018, Vince, when they had that great end depth, they didn't have the same depth inside. Adam Miola was a freshman. Tung Valor got hurt in the first game of the year. Right. Right. Yeah. Kurt Heinis was just a sophomore. You know, you didn't have that same depth. Yeah. Now it's just like I mean, it's just you're three deep at at yeah. least three spot. When Jacob Lacy comes back, Vince Notre Dame is a legit three deep at three of the four defensive line positions. That's crazy.
1: That's crazy depth.
2: That's because I mean, cr- your third. There are plenty of teams out line. there that would take your third yes. string. Think That's about this: saying. your third string defensive line for Notre Dame going into fall camp is going to be Nana Osafa Mensa at strong side end, Jacob Lacey at nose tackle, Gabriel Rubio at three technique. And then you say, okay, well, right now you're not sure who that third guy's going to be at Viper. Okay. Okay. But think about that. Jacob Lacey, Gabriel Rubio, Nana Osafa Mensa is your third string defensive line heading into fall camp. There's a lot of teams, and this is why people say, why are you so optimistic about Notre Dame despite all the losses? Because there's at least over half the teams on the schedule that would say, I'd like for that to be my starting defensive Correct. Line. That's, that's what I was getting at. Yes,
1: absolutely. No question. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that one.
2: So, third, number three key. Okay. The number three takeaway that we got is you had high expectations for Jack Kaiser coming into the spring. I think even, even with your high expectations – Jack Kaiser was even better than we thought he was going to be. He looked. Let me say this: he looked more comfortable at Rover immediately than I thought. I thought it was going to take a little bit of time. Sure, sure. He, it looked. It looked extremely natural for him from day well, one, from the first practice that we saw. It looked that way to me.
1: I've always been a Jack Kaiser fan. Um, you know, ever since we saw. Let me take that back. I think you and I believe what he could do. Then we got a chance to see it in a game last year, and then we really didn't get to see him really the rest of the year outside of special teams and some cameo appearances, things of that nature. Um, but I've been a fan of his for a long time, and I was just waiting for him to get his opportunity. And, and again, we talked about how Marcus Freeman coming in was perfect timing for a guy like Houston Griffith, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty good timing for Jack Kaiser, too. Um, and, of course, there was uh, you know an injury that, that could have, helped him i get that um but at the same time he got his opportunity at rover and i didn't know going into the spring i wasn't exactly sure where jack kaiser was going to get his opportunity you know what was it going to be at will uh was it going to be at rover um but wherever they were going to put him i was confident that he was going to make plays but he has settled in at rover so incredibly well better than i thought and i Mm i I will be the first one to admit it better than I thought. Uh, I thought he was going to be successful, but the, the, you mentioned it, the ease at which he has taken to that position Mm -hmm. really surprised me in a great way, in a great way. I'm so happy for him and his opportunity. And of course he still needs to grow and he still needs to, you know, take those steps and get better and better. No question about it. Um, But what I saw in the blue gold game, I, I was very impressed with what Jack Kaiser brought to the table. Um, I it's going to be very, very difficult to move him off of that spot. Yeah. You know, I, I it was really, really good.
2: I think the surprising thing for me was just how productive he was throughout the spring in the pass game. Sure. I thought that would be the thing that would take the most time. Like when we saw him in the blue gold game, you know, dropping into coverage and seeing a swing route or a, a slide route or something <laughs> like that, a crosser and he'd jump it and break it up. Those are things I expected of him. It, it was. Oh, what, what, what is that, Vince? What you, what you got there? <laughs> nice product placement. Um, it was those things where, you know, that's what you expected of him. When you saw him taking on perimeter runs, like, we expected those yeah. things. What yes. I was surprised by was how good he was in man coverage and making plays down the, fall, we, down the field. We saw him make multiple interceptions in practice. We saw him yeah. even on a couple times when they completed passes on him. It was like Michael Mayer with, like, outstretched arms on a perfectly placed pass where – you know, it's like you had to make it that way or he was going to break it up. I, I yeah. think that's the thing for me is his coverage down. Like we had sure. to flip his hips and run. Yeah. And that's where his high
1: school experience helped him out. Bingo. Because he, he was right
2: killing Explain. Me.
1: Explain what we
2: mean by that. Well, what
1: we mean by I, I don't know if this is the direction that you were going to go. But what I was going to say is, you know, he played quarterback, obviously, uh, <laughs> in high school because he went mm-hmm. to a very, very small high school. Mm-hmm. It is clear to me that he understands offenses. Right. I mean, and, and he's able going to go with that. So OK, this is going to be good. No, this is OK. Good. I think he understands offenses very, very well because he was quarterback and, yeah. and he is able to, you know, dissect things maybe a little bit faster. Now, it's one thing to say you can dissect things, um, but it's another thing to be able to execute that. Right. And that's mm-hmm. where his athletic ability takes over. Yeah. But I think his his mental ability to dissect what's happening on the offensive side really benefits him in that spot at Rover.
2: Yeah. I was actually going to go with the fact of what he did on defense in high school. Remember, he was a free safety and he was a, he was a, he did everything. He covered, he played the center of the field. Now, he's not a free safety in college. He was a free safety at that, what, won a football in Indiana, right? right he which was is the best really athlete that anyone had. Yeah. But what I mean is that experience, he had to come up he, he, at times, he played in the slot, at times he had to cover. Like he literally had to cover people in high school. And yes. he had to play with great range in high school when he was playing in the middle of the field. Sure. And, he was a tremendous – I mean, he was a – well, he was the first – was it the first ever 1A Mr. Football? The first Mr. Football for, in Indiana was a 1A player. I believe that's Which just accurate, how yeah. dominant he was and on both sides of the ball because he was a quarterback. I think he rushed for like over 1,600 yards as a senior, correct? <laughs> really good, yeah. And, and that was with him playing like half a games. I mean, yeah, they were they so dominant. Out. Yes, yeah. he played like half a game. But I think that experience playing free safety and his uh, he has to think and read when as and here's what I mean a free safety is for the defense the way that Jack was used which a lot of times is right in the middle of the field mm-hmm. in high school is a lot like a quarterback meaning yep. you have yeah. to see everything you yeah. have to know what the corners doing the slots doing and he was basically also the quarterback of the defense and I think those things have helped make Jack help helped Jack's transition to make it a really quick smooth transition to where. You watch him play and you're like, is he Jeremiah Wusu No. Is he <laughs> is Notre Dame gonna have any issues getting production and big time play out of the rover position? No. And that's how I feel. And we haven't even seen Paul Moala come back yet, who I think is gonna be able to provide you know, good rotation reps. Yeah, and I think Jack's I think emergence a great player. two, yes, Jack's Emergence two, you just say that because they're from Indiana. Yeah. uh just kidding. Just, just because Jack's emergence he's two, gonna go two, I think to high is gonna be good school, for yeah. Isaiah Pryor. And what yeah. I mean by that is Isaiah Pryor is a really tough athletic player, but he's a limited ath- Let me say this: athletic in a straight line. Sure. I don't think Isaiah is as is rangy as you he's like. Not a flip your he's, hips, kind of. He's guy. not a cover guy. Yeah. But now, because of Jack's emergence as sort of your every down guy, when you put Isaiah in, you can use him now more as a situationally. Weapon. Absolutely, he's going to pressure. He's going to uh, attack absolutely.
1: the run. Well, I, you and, can see him getting time. Ready you know, against a Wisconsin or against Navy, Navy. Yep. you know what I mean? Yep. Like I could see him getting more time in games like that. Uh, when they're playing against teams, they're going to go up tempo and spread the ball out. It's not an Isaiah Pryor game, yeah. it, but that, but like you said, just to, to echo what you said, having guys with different skill sets benefits you. It makes you deeper and it allows you to do different things. Now I, I do think Jack Kaiser can play against any of those teams. Right. It's um, not
2: about – it's about you it's still about, like to yes. have an opportunity to where yes. can you take 10 snaps a game off Jack Kaiser's plate? It's going to make yes. him better. And where and, it's not a situation where you're going to get killed. Right. yeah, No, 100% agree, exactly. and I think that's a positive. But it, my point is Jack's emergence makes Paul Mawala better. It makes sure. Isaiah Pryor better. It's not sure. just about Jack. Uh, I think also when you look at a guy like Marcus Freeman – When you coach at Cincinnati, and I don't mean this as a disrespect to Cincinnati, but when you coach at Cincinnati, the reality
0: is... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: Is you have to learn to coach with, with more limited players than you're going to have at Notre Dame, meaning more one-dimensional. Hey, look, this kid's really it. good at this, but the reason he's at Cincinnati is because he's only good at this. Correct. And, and so I think Marcus is going to coach. Freeman's going to come with that experience of finding. What I know what to do with that. one-trick yeah. ponies. Sure. And but you can't have one-trick ponies in your starting lineup. The fact that Jack emerged at Rover means you've got, you know, Isaiah, who in a very crass way of saying it's a bit of a one trick pony, but now you can utilize that one trick effectively because you have another guy that stepped up as as the main starter. So I I think that's a, a, a very important thing for me. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. something we're excited about, but also is going to somewhat segue into these next couple of points are going to also segue into where there's still concerns about sure. the defense. Sure. The cornerback position mm-hmm. is still a question mark heading no into question. the offseason. No doubt. Having said that, I feel a lot better about the cornerback position today. Yep. Than I did heading into the spring and no there's doubt. three reasons, four reasons for it. Really? Number one, um, I think the depth, to your point, is good. We saw Mm -hmm. guys like Ramon Henderson have good springs. Caleb Offord, I thought, played really well in the spring game, which is something I never thought I would say about Caleb Offord, so I was very pleased by that. The depth was good. Uh, Clarence Lewis, so far, has made good freshman to sophomore growth. Right. And he was already a solid player as a freshman. Sure. He so far has made good freshman a solid growth. That I didn't see any step backs from Clarence this spring. Mm-hmm. That's important because, you know, Absolutely. again, the term sophomore slump is in existence for a reason. Right. And uh, because you, you can tend to get exposed as you play more, teams can see your weakness as well. The, it's, that's why it's important for a guy like Clarence to grow in some areas where as a freshman, if he would have played more, if Clarence would have been a day one starter. He'd have got picked on a lot more late in the year because teams would have found his weaknesses. Sure. They didn't have time to do that last year. Now teams will, but he's now growing in those areas, which is important. So now you can't just pick on him because you saw right. this late in the year. Well, let's try this on him because he's better than that now. Number three is the emergence of Tariq Bracey.
1: Mm-hmm. I a thought reemergence. How about reemergence? Yes. Reemergence. Yeah. We yeah.
2: saw Tariq uh, was was made a lot of plays in the, in the, in the highlight videos. Marcus Freeman pra- pra- praised Tariq's consistency, and he looked confident in the blue-gold game. He got beat once, but he made a lot of plays, but he was consistent. He p- and The biggest thing is, Vince, he played confidently, mm-hmm. and that's so important. Now, he's got to go carry that in the fall, and then the fourth sure. reason is one that I know you're going to love and agree with, but Cam Hart looked far more comfortable with everything about being a corner, his flipping yeah. his hips. Finding receivers in routes. He's he didn't play that first ball real well. Sure. But he played the route well. That was the thing I like to see. He was and after that, he was all over the Notre Dame receivers. There's still a lot of question marks, Vince, but man, I thought this group was way ahead of where where they were when we started the spring. The expectations Not, when we started the spring.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think um I, de- I mean, it was definitely a position that I was paying attention to as I was watching the game and as we were going through spring and, and things of that nature. And we were hearing good things, but you know, you kind of have to see it um, to, to to really feel. Has ever gone
2: behind the scenes like, "Hey, we suck, <laughs>
1: we're terrible." There,
2: they're <laughs> well, always going to feed you know, "Hey, it's I, good." Yeah. It's-
1: not, I mean, not
2: from Notre Dame coaches. Not <laughs> when we are right. talking to your Notre Dame sources. They're I'm like, joking. hey, you know, we're, we're terrible. I'm joking. Uh, you, but no, yeah, I, we, every coach has said that about their yes. team two weeks in the fall camp. I've said <laughs> this before. You go into fall camp, man, you're so excited. Like, we're going to be good. <laughs> and then the first three days without pads on, man, we're so sharp. And then by the second week of fall camp, you're like, oh, my God, we're not going to win a game. We're terrible." I think every coach says yeah. that two weeks in the fall we're camp. Terrible. But what I'm saying is – when you talk to sources, at, at, in right. game, you never hear, like, we suck. We're terrible. Yeah. There's always, oh, you know, this kid's come along. This kid's sure. right? So you have to take some of it with a grain of salt. But then the other sure. part of it is, okay, but then we saw it in highlights. And more importantly, Vince, we saw it in the game. Even when they were getting beats, yes. they were getting beat because, A, the scheme was great, or, B, because the other guy on the other side of the ball made
1: a great play. play. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think – you know going in i, I figured uh, clarence would be okay um I, I was fairly confident he would his needle would be moving in the right direction i think we all had questions about tariq bracey and his confidence but again he was able to hit the reset button with the uh-huh. uh, with the hiring of marcus freeman uh for better or worse he he was able to hit that reset button which is great for him and he took advantage at least up to this point, mm-hmm. he's taken advantage of Go that. And that's it. great. And, and Cam Hart, I, I think we both like Cam Hart. I, you know, obviously I, I project my love a little bit more uh, publicly, but he's such a physical specimen for what I want in a corner. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's tall, he's rangy, he's athletic. Um, He just needed to learn how to play corner. And, and I think, you know, all fall he had that opportunity. Um, and then all spring he had that opportunity and he's taken advantage of that opportunity. And so, you know, I-, I was asking myself, is he going to be able to do that? Um, you know, going into the fall, you know, are we going to see strides from him that we were hoping to see mm-hmm. in the spring? And I think we did. And so it solidifies the depth a little bit. You've got three guys, I think, at this point that you feel very comfortable with, and that's a really, really good thing. Yeah. And then you saw some flashes of some younger guys too as you had mentioned and so um
2: and we I, didn't see I, much of the freshmen in this in the highlight videos but i I liked what I saw from Philip Riley and especially Ryan Barnes yeah, and the blue I did gold too game. I I did too they didn't look like freshmen yeah Ryan Barnes is whipping Joe Wilkins on a relatively consistent basis in the blue gold game
1: I was I was very happy and so I am uh this is overused but I guess I'm cautiously optimistic about yeah. what the quarterback position can be and I'm excited to see how they grow from now. Sure until we see them right. in September.
2: Because we saw so many good things from so many players, Vince, it gives me a greater sense of confidence. You're going to get at least three or four guys that are going to play well in the fall. And yes. that's the big key is if it's just, hey, we only have three corners and one of them doesn't play well, you're in trouble. Or somebody gets hurt, you're in trouble. The sure. fact that we saw growth across the board and we saw the freshmen, you know, Philip Riley had his issues early in, in spring, which you expected. But then he, I thought he battled – as you got deeper into the spring, I think Ryan Barnes looked really comfortable playing in the blue gold game, despite the fact he missed a third of spring practice, yeah, with an illness. So uh, there's just so much. Bo- there's so many talented bodies now. Ramon Henderson play- performing well. Caleb Offered looked like he belonged out there. You. You feel better about the fact that, hey, you know what? You're gonna have enough guys that are gonna step up and fill this depth chart and you're you're gonna be at least good there. Maybe you're not gonna be great there. That's still a long way away before I'm ready to say, Oh, they're gonna be great. Sure. Uh, You're not there yet. We're seeing positive strides. That's the thing that we're saying. I don't have the same confidence about the corners that I have about the defensive line at this point in time. No, but it's more about what the expectations were of that group heading into the spring. And when you consider how much that group struggled at times last season. I feel very very good about the the trajectory of that position. Sure. And we haven't even seen Jojo Johnson and Chance Tucker yet. Good they point. don't arrive till the fall. So, yeah, no good you, point. You have to feel good about it. And also, it kind of transitions into our next part, which is obviously Kyle Hamilton is is going to be what Kyle Hamilton's going to be. If he's only as good as he was last year, he's an all-American. Uh, I felt I liked what I saw from Houston Griffith all spring. I feel mm-hmm. good about where he is. Mm-hmm. I thought K.J. Wallace did some nice things. Justin Walters did some nice things. But I'm still more concerned about the safety depth sure. than I am about anything else. And, and, and look, Kerry G is going to show up in the in the fall. But I have a lot of questions about that position right now. That's probably my biggest my biggest question mark. And we'll talk about linebacker in a second here. We'll wrap up with linebacker. But safety to me, Vince, is the biggest question mark. Having said that, you've got a lot of big-bodied corners and if you're a coaching staff and you're saying, you know, the three guys that we talked about early, Bracey, Lewis, and, and Cam Hart, they're all – hey, look, we, we that's our foundation right now. Sure. Between Caleb Offord, Ramon Henderson, Philip Riley, Ryan Barnes, Chance Tucker, and JoJo Johnson, that's seven guys, I think, right? Am I doing the math there? You've got the four so. freshmen. You've got Ramon Henderson. You've got Caleb Offord. So that's six, and there's somebody else that I'm missing. But you got at least six guys there that you can say, you know what? We can't play nine guys a corner. Right. So somebody can come help us over here. Sure. And, and I think that's the other reason why the fact that we saw so many players a corner do good things. And I think it speaks vault when an entire depth chart improves. Right. Right. You point to the guy that coaches that depth chart and say, That guy knows what he's doing and he's doing a great job. And that's what Mike Mickens has done. No doubt. Now you can say, because of that depth, you can then look at it and say, okay, you know what? We've already got a corner committed in 2022. We're in a good place with Devin Moore and Benjamin Morrison and some Jaden Bellamy and some other corners. We can take so-and-so and, and move, move him to safety. Now, now. feel good about whatever Whatever right.
1: phraseology you want to use. Whether it's nickel, yeah. whether it's
2: that nickel spot, right. whether it's in the back end, whatever. Right. And, and so that gives me a little bit of comfort that there's at least going to be an opportunity there. But that's still right now my biggest – when I, I say question, that. a question from a concerning point of view – because if something happens, and God forbid, you know, like last year when Kyle Hamilton got ejected from the North Carolina game, they threw in Houston Griffith, and he did great. Yeah, and and uh, you know, people forget that That Houston was playing a lot when that second half when Notre Dame completely shut down North Carolina. Houston was was a key part of that. I mean, DJ Brown did some decent things in that situation too. But you you lose now, you you lose Houston or Kyle, and you look at it and say, well, who's coming in next? Sure. And, sure. and KJ Wall did some nice things, but you know, is he ready to be that guy yet? We have to see. You know, Justin Walters did some nice things, but is he ready to be that guy yet? I, we'll see. And the re- reality is, is DJ Brown is a is a smart, heady, tough football player. But as we saw in the Blue Gold game, it confirmed exactly what we saw last fall that athletically, yeah. he is limited in an every down role. He just is. He and and he is better as a rotation. So again. Sure. If you're using DJ as part of a three-four man rotation, he's good. If DJ has to step into the starting lineup because somebody got hurt, there's some teams on the schedule and, and, that that I'm nervous
1: about playing. If that's and good. right now he may be that guy, like that. I I think he might be that third he safety at the
2: end of spring. At the end of spring, I'd say. Right, he is. that's
1: what I'm saying. That, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like right now, he's that guy, and I and I think that that is a little bit concerning. Um, I, I will say that I'm excited about the duo of Houston Griffith and Kyle Hamilton mm-hmm. and what that can be. Uh, but you need more than two. I mean, right. you just do. And whether that's a schematic thing where you're going to have some guys rotating and things of that nature, uh, or whether you're talking about an injury, you need more than two. And um, so that worries me a little bit. But I like your your thinking on you know potentially bringing a corner over um, or if you're going to go with that quote unquote three safety look, you, you have a corner as that third safety you also, essentially.
2: But that's also, Vince, why Jack Kaiser's emergence was so important. Good point, because you can keep him in the game as well. I feel a lot more. See, that's the benefit that Jeremiah Wusu Procore Mower brought to you. Mm-hmm. You could play nickel, and he'd be your nickel. That's sure. how good he was in coverage. Sure. Uh, I think Pro Football Focus, who, you know, their rankings are pretty terrible, but I do like their their the breakdowns yes the,
1: the, yeah the, the, and, the and the they graded are... him
2: out as the best slot cover player in the country last year amongst all positions yeah corner safeties linebacks everybody and he brought you a bit of that unicorn ability to where you could stay in your base defense and and play like you were a nickel that is such a rare thing as yeah. good as drew tranquil was in 2017 he was a he was a linebacker playing rover Sure. Jeremiah Wusu was was a a linebacker against the run and a safety against the pass. You know, sure. a, a nickel like, guy against the perfect pass, perfect hybrid. Yeah. Right. And and to me, I think Jack brings that. I, yeah. I'm not saying again, I'm not saying he's Jeremiah. I'm just simply right. talking about his skill set. He can cover. He can cover tight ends and backs, obviously. But I believe if with especially if you have a safety over top protecting him, I like his ability to play in coverage to flip his hips and plate, which also helps protect you if you don't feel good about your depth from a safety standpoint.
1: Well, and I love the fact that in practice, he's going to have to cover Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree, yeah. and Michael Mayer. And Avery Davis. And Avery and Lawrence Keyes, Keyes. And Lawrence Keys. Yeah. It, it's only going to make him better right. seeing those guys day in and right. day out. because and that's once true you of the entire game,
2: secondary. I mean, it, it really is. It's true of the entire yeah. secondary. and, and that's, sure. that's where, you know, look, when I've coached in the past, I mean, uh, you know, my last coaching job before I got into defiance, I was a Christopher Newport and our DB coach was Justin Lustig, who's now Clark Lee special teams coordinator at Vanderbilt. And we would talk, I mean, we'd get on the board all the time. I mean, he was the DB coach. I was the receivers coach and we would get on the board and we would challenge each other and talk to each other. But then that helped made us better as coaches, but it wasn't nearly as valuable as, as his defensive secondary, which was excellent going against my receivers, which was excellent. Right. And it, it's, it, our guys would both say, you know, Saturdays were the easy part. Right. Because it's like if we could cover Nathan Davis and Curfew Spate and George Jones Monday to Thursday, then we knew we were going to cover the teams that we were going to play on Saturday. And then the other, my guys were if I can beat Rob Rodriguez in practice, well, I know I'm going to be able to beat whoever I play against on Saturday. And and that's what USC used to praise. That's what Clemson sure. can do. That's what Alabama can do. That's what Ohio State iron can do. Iron sharpens
1: iron, right? Yes. And we're yeah. seeing
2: that. And I think that is going to be even more beneficial to the young secondary, even more so than it's going to be to the receivers. Yeah. I think it's going to help those guys. So if Cam Hart can cover Kevin Austin, and if he can cover Braden Lindsey, and if he can cover uh, you know Xavier Watts and those kind of guys, then he's going to be good. If if Tariq Bracy can run with Lawrence Keys and Avery Davis and, and Braden Lindsey. And same thing with Clarence Lewis. Then they're going to be good on Saturday. Sure. Yeah. And and I think that's that's where I feel good about. We're going to. It's kind of like this. It's the opposite of what we said about the D line. Yes, the D line is great, but are they really that good, or is the offensive line struggling? Yeah. If the secondary is playing well in fall camp, there's not going to be any doubt about are they ready to play, because you know you're more confident in the competition they're facing. Does that make sure. sense? Sure, yeah, absolutely. And so that's why I feel like if it is a weakness, it's gonna get exposed in fall camp, which means the coaches can then address it. Yeah. Because sometimes, Vince, you know this. You don't know something's a weakness until you get to play another team. And you're like, oh, <laughs> and, oh. so we weren't that good. Our receivers are just terrible. Uh, you know, and and but with the case of Notre Dame, you, you know what these – I mean, you, you know what Braden Lindsey can do. You've seen him do it. You've yeah. seen what Lawrence Keys can do. We know that Kevin Austin is talented. We know what Avery Davis can do. You know that you have arguably the best tight end in the country coming back. Right. You know you have one of the best running backs in the country coming back. They've proven it on Saturdays. Correct. And so if your guys can handle themselves and handle their business against those guys – and that's what I thought we saw in the Blue Gold game. Sure. I thought yeah. for the most part totally – I mean, agree. again, they got beat sometimes. That's encouraging. If the receivers mm-hmm. were getting locked down the whole game, I'd be like, Maybe they're not as good as we thought they were, so I think that's the the exciting thing. And then the final question mark, Vince, is is kind of a positive, but you know we saw strides from the linebackers across the board. I thought Shane mm-hmm. Simon was better. I thought Maris was better. I thought I Bo agree. was better. But there's not there yet. There's still work to be done. Sure. And then your question was more about okay, who who is who is going who's going to be, gonna those be guys who,
1: guys? who's going to be where, and and who's going to be playing with who, and and what's that rotation going to look like? Because I think. You know, we didn't see a lot of Drew White, obviously, because of injury, and mm-hmm. we didn't see him at all in the Blue goal game. Um, I-, I thought Bo Bauer has taken a step in the right direction. I thought Shane Simon's taken a step in the right direction. I thought Marist, um, if he can stay under control, has taken you know yeah. taken a step in the right direction. It's just
2: especially sport. if Shane Simon can be consistent, because yes. if Shane can take hold of that will job. Now we can have the same conversation with Maris that we had about Isaiah Pryor. Now I think Maris is a better player than Isaiah Pryor, but he's still it's on the, the younger same side idea, though. He's yes. Yeah, so now it's like when he's in a game, we're using him to do this. We're using yes. him to attack. Yep. And, and you can't, you know, if he has to be the every down guy, then you have to somewhat tamp down some of that aggressiveness where if he's rotating with Shane, it's when he's in turn him loose, baby. And I'm and I'm really excited to see Drew White in this defense because I yeah. I think Drew is an is an under we've talked about this I think he's a very underrated athlete
1: Absolutely. and
2: and he was a very productive player and yeah he's gonna have to battle to keep hold of his job against Bo Bauer and that's what you want from from big time teams but if he holds on to that job and if he can stay healthy he's a guy that could end up having a, a ten plus tackle for loss year simply because. I mean, he was doing it in the last couple years in a defense that wasn't necessarily designed for the Mike linebacker to rack up a ton of
1: tackles for loss. Right.
2: And I think all the linebackers
1: are going to benefit from the defensive line as well. Right. Exactly. You know, I I just Mm -hmm. think that their production is going to go up because because offensive linemen aren't going to be able to get to that next level and they're going to be able to roam around a little bit more free. Right. Um, And in this defense specifically where there is emphasis on getting to the ball carrier and getting to the ball period, I really think the production of this of this linebacking core is is going to go well. Of course, it can only go up from the one, but uh, I think overall, I, I think yeah. production from the linebacking core is only going to go up.
2: My only, my big question mark with this unit is still, and I'm talking the inside linebackers now, mm-hmm. not the rover. It's still pass game. It's still coverage. That's sure. still a concern for me. We saw some good moments. I mean, Shane Simon had a great play where he undercut Kyron Williams. Bo Bauer still a bit of a liability in the pass game. Uh, we didn't get to see Drew White handle it you know Mares can be a little bit undisciplined at times i still sure. want to see that that yeah. consistent ability to to see a seam route and cover it to see that swing route sure. and get out in front of it you know uh those are the things that i still want to see we saw some plays being made against the pass but that is still probably with this unit my biggest sure question mark from a concern standpoint is still their ability and coverage cuz i'm very if, comfortable
1: against yeah. the run but yeah. i agree with you mm-hmm. um that that is a A place of concern, but a place that can be the concern can go away fairly quickly once we see them in action against some other Mm -hmm. teams, I guess, is the
2: best way to put it for me. Yep. All right, Vince.
1: Yes, that is it. Let's look at some questions. What do you think? Let's dive into Um, some questions. Uh, first Bottom of all, line, I'm really excited about this defense. Can yes. I just, can I just yes. throw that out there? I, it's I,
2: big-picture takeaway, Vince. It's It was as good, if not better, than I had expected. And yes. we talked about how we thought this unit was going to be very good going into the spring. Yes. And, and so we set a very high – so it's kind of funny. We have completely opposite takeaways. We set a low bar for the offense. The offense still has a lot of holes, but we're encouraged by it because sure. they weren't terrible, like, you know, the, was the fear. Uh, right. They showed a lot of progress, and that's yeah. – Whereas the defense, we set a super high bar, and at the very least, they met it.
1: Yes, I agree. I and, and, agree. And in
2: some ways, I think they're even ahead of where I thought they'd be.
1: I think they surpassed it a little bit for me, just because corner, uh, the, the, yeah, corner specifically. Uh, we yeah. were, we were both justifiably concerned about what that depth was going to look like. There's just a just a lot of guys with not a lot of experience, and yeah. and a guy with who had an attack of uh, confidence and a lack of confidence, and, you and never we didn't know, know if what was back. Going. Yeah, I mean, I. Believe me, I get it. Um, and so I, I've been dealing with that in my own house with my own mm-hmm. kid. So I, I get it. It's tough. And so they met my – expect they, they far exceeded my expectations at corner, which allowed the whole defense to at least meet, if not exceed. Mm-hmm. So I, that just makes me even more excited for what this defense can bring to the table. So um, I'm pumped. I'm pumped mm-hmm. for the, the season, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh this is going to be a long summer to try to get there. Yep. but. All right, let's jump into some of these questions. Oh, right there. First of all, Whoa. Notre
2: Dame two, or uh, Notre Dame 2164, thanks for joining us. Got a couple people that are saying, uh, saying hi. Omer Austin, happy hump day, Irish fans, absolutely. Okay. So, uh, uh, and then real quick, I would say this real quick to our man, Connor, who is a, a regular and one of, in your favorite guy, uh, Vince has picked his favorite child, uh, and it, it is Connor, who currently <laughs> lives in Vermont, which is an absolutely beautiful part of the country. But if you're looking to leave Vermont, Indiana is a good place for it. And it is. especially up in this area, Vince and I obviously live in the same neighborhood. Uh, I, I live, have lived in Denver, Colorado. I've lived in uh Virginia beach area. I've lived in some very, I've did, I've lived in North Carolina, Florida. Um, I've lived in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh and f- in North of Philly. Man, and around, yeah, it's what happens when you coach college football, man, right. you move around a lot. Honestly, it's um, why I didn't, I didn't <laughs> go that route, but yeah. yeah. I get but, it. um, I, I do enjoy very much living in Northern Indiana. I, I, well, do I,
1: very much so, I will say, and I, this is getting off on a tangent, just a, a skosh bit, but I saw you guys talking about where you live and, and thinking about, but the, the cost of living around here mm-hmm. um, is very, very doable. Uh, yeah. We, I love the neighborhood that we live in and the neighbors that we have and, and, and all of that. And I love the change of the seasons. That's yeah. me. Um, but the fact that I'm a teacher, I've got yeah. some other gigs on the side, obviously. Yeah. But the fact that I'm a teacher, I can live where we live. Uh, my kids can go to really good schools and, and, Vince, you could not live in a neighborhood like we live in. If you taught in Virginia beach, correct? Virginia. Where a- absolutely. From. And that's what I'm saying. I, I'm, yeah. we're very comfortable because of where we live right. and I could not be happier about this. Yeah. So I just wanted to, and throw that especially
2: out. in Northern Indiana. Cause you're, you're a couple hours from Chicago. Yeah. There's, there's tons it's of, perfect. Beu- there's tons of beautiful places right across the border in Michigan to go see. And and, then you and the best part about that is, Vince, we can go visit the beautiful parts of Michigan, but not actually have to live in Michigan.
1: Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. You know, yeah, um, Indy's
2: Indy's two and a half away. There's a lot of places you can. I mean, we can get in a car and drive a couple hours and be at Cedar Point. You you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of Cedar Point
1: this way. You got Chicago this way. You've got Detroit. You've got Indy. Yeah.
2: It's a perfect place. It really is. So if you're looking for a place to relocate and and there's a lot of job opportunities in Indiana, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of job opportunities everywhere right now. Uh, But uh, but yeah. So and of course, the best part about it is Notre Dame. <laughs> oh, I thought that right. you,
1: you could live in our neighborhood or
2: something. But, right. no, that's that, that that's okay. the, we don't want to we don't want to turn them away <laughs> from moving here. Uh John A1, my man, yes. thank you so much for the super chat. So Vince, you missed this. So uh since you weren't on the show on my birthday because yeah. you had to mow your lawn. We were talking about games and John did not remember the 2006 Notre Dame Penn State game. The one where Notre Dame shredded Penn State. Remember the game oh, where Brady yeah. hits Carlson up the seam and he smokes Paul Puzlesny and all that? Oh,
1: man. He I do walked, remember So that. while I
2: was watching Notre Dame-Miami 88 last night, my man John hmm. A1 was watching Notre Dame-Penn State. Okay, uh, fair enough. So he, he, he did enjoy that. So his question, Vince, is, and this is a good one, which defensive
1: player made the biggest jump this spring and who was the biggest surprise? Okay. Biggest jump for me uh, was Jack Kaiser and in mm-hmm. a great way. I, I'm – like, I, I don't want to rehash everything that I said before, but I am super excited about what he's going to bring to the table. I thought he was a good player to begin with. He got an opportunity and he seized it. Uh, so I think he made the biggest jump. That, yeah.
2: I actually, for me, th- for, me, for me, it's Jordan Patojo. I thought he made a huge answer. jump this spring. Uh, he he was a guy that I thought went from just sort of a bull in a china shop. That this year, I mean, it wasn't just that he was exploding off the edge and showing great motor and. All. Last year, he was a great motor guy, but he didn't know sure. what he was doing. Now right. he's like he's like dipping his shoulder to get around the edge. He's getting low. I saw a thing. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I saw a tweet the other day where it was a quote that an offensive, a defensive, great defensive lineman had said. Offensive linemen don't like playing below their belly buttons, right? And it was a clip of Von Miller coming around the edge and just dipping. And you see the great defensive ends and the great pass rushers have that ability to contort their body, yeah, just to get, get an angle and get around the they edge. They call it getting saw, skinny. Yes.
1: Getting skinny. Or or to get low.
2: Yeah. And, and and we saw that from Jordan this spring. So he was actually showing nuance. It wasn't just speed and motor. There was some nuance. We're seeing Isaiah Foskey use his hands more. So we're seeing that from all over. but but I thought Jordan made a huge, huge jump. And it sounds like that he's done a lot of growing up off the field too, which I think those That's two great. things kind of go hand in
1: hand. Vince, what was your biggest surprise? My biggest team? surprise was Shane Simon. I okay. hate to say it, but he, the the way he played in game, and I knew that he had the ability to play the way he's been playing this spring. Um, and we saw it in practice, but we hadn't mm-hmm. seen it in a game outside yeah. of the one Clemson game. And, I was very nervous about what he was going to bring to the table in the spring. And so he surprised me in a good way. And I Mm -hmm. hope that he can continue on that path, right? I mean, he could be a huge part of this defense at the linebacker position at the wheel spot. And uh, like you said, if he can solidify that starting role, then that allows Marist to be that kind of sub where he can just come in Mm -hmm. and do his thing. Um, I, I think that makes this defense better. And so he has been my positive surprise so far this year.
2: There are some guys that I thought surprised me in the, in the game. I thought Litchfield Ajavon had a nice game. I thought that KJ Wallace had a nice game. I thought that Caleb Offord had a nice game. But if we're looking at the entirety of the spring, I can't disagree with your with your choice there. I I think that's a I think that's a really good pick. And it, again, it's it's a it's a surprise not from that we didn't know he could do it. It's about whether or not he would do it. And that's what it is. John A1 also has a question. Has Notre Dame found its third safety or fifth DB to run a coach Freeman's defense? And, and we kind of addressed that a little bit, John. Right. No, they haven't. <laughs> um, but it doesn't have to be a, sa- a third safety. It can be a corner or it can be in this situation, a, a Jeremiah Wusukor Moa, a Jack Kaiser Kaiser type of linebacker. And that's also what they're recruiting Nolan Ziegler to play. Uh, who's a 6'4, 205 pound, linebacker uh, prospect, but he actually plays safety in high school. He plays slot, he covers, and those kind of things. So they are preparing to be able to play multiple types of athletes in that position to where it doesn't have to be. But I do think that the emergence of, and we didn't really discuss this, the emergence of Tariq Bracey and Cam Hart gives Notre Dame the opportunity to be better prepared to put a pure cover guy in that position when the need is there. There may be some games like USC, for example. Would I be shocked if Notre Dame went with a 3-3-5 against USC where they, instead of leaving Jack Kaiser in space, they put him in the box and have a a true three linebacker thing in the box to where then he can kind of cover tight ends and backs, and now you have a fifth true fifth DB out there? Um, I wouldn't be shocked by that at all, but who's that going to be? I think right now it's it's going to have cornerback position. Right now, absolutely, it's going to have to. And and now the only safety could potentially be KJ Wallace. I think KJ could maybe have a role there. But you know, right now with Clarence Lewis and Tariq Bracey and Cam Hart all having good springs, I feel a lot more confident of seeing that trio on the field together as
1: opposed to any sort of combination of three safeties. I agree, and that's why their
2: emergence is so important.
1: You kind of touched on this, so I'm kind of skipping around here a little bit. Mm -hmm. But Sean had a question about. Uh, you know, how multiple will we be this year? How much will we see four three three four four two three three four one three two? Will we see more exotic things like the radar defense five two? I I think the sky's the limit. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, I don't. Uh, yes, the answer is yes. I think you will see mm-hmm. some form of what you think the all of these things are at right. some point or another. Yeah. And and he kind of follows it up, and I we can kind of discuss all of it. How much will personnel decisions be game dependent? Will we see different starters and different rotations uh, in most weeks? I, I don't think you're going to see different starters. Y- you might one or two here or there, but you I know, think like if, if
2: there's a week where they they're going to be more like if if when they play USC, could I see it? Do I think we might see a different lineup? Yes. Uh, when they play Navy, could we see a different lineup? Sure. Yes. We, and we've but seen think, that in the again, past. Yes. I think I think for the most part we're going to see the same players. I think how those yes. players are going to be utilized, Bingo. Sean, is going to is going to change from week to week. You know, there may be some weeks where we see different we may see the personnel packages used more. And and right. so it's like, yeah, we've seen that on third down, but in this game maybe they're doing it as their base defense. And and I think that's one of the advantages of what Marcus Freeman does is that that versatility, that multiplicity is a part of this and this is goes back to the original thing that we talked about, Sean, which is that's marcus freeman's dna now that's who he is now he evolved from that you know that guy at ohio state you know that that you know when he was a player that this is you know we're better than everybody we play so we're gonna line up and, and we're gonna just we're gonna be better than everybody right. Right? And, right and and there's a sound there's a toughness where then he goes <laughs> to cincinnati and it's like well we just can't line up and be better than everybody that we play now right and, and so you know we have to we have to be able to do these different things well now you're at notre dame where you can kind of have the best of both worlds. And you've got you're, guys with
1: your positional flexibility. You're going to have
2: dudes yeah. everywhere. So most weeks you're going to be the you're going to have the best talent on the field most weeks, but you also have really smart kids that you can be very multiple and diverse with. And and that's so needed in today's game where one week yep. you're playing with Stanford's pro-style offense, the next week you're pay, playing USC's air raid offense. That's all pass, pass, pass. I mean, USC averaged less than 100 yards rushing per game last year. Crazy. That's unheard of at a school with the tailback tradition that USC right. had. Yep. And then the next week, literally the next week, you're playing a North Carolina air raid that just put 2,000-yard running backs out there. Into the so NFL, you too. You have to be <laughs> able to match up personnel-wise in, in, in this. and in, in, And so it's so important to be able to do that. And I think to, to his question, you know, there may be some games where we see more of a three-four personnel out of four two five alignments or four right. three alignments or three three five alignments. Other weeks we're gonna see more four three personnel part in C three three five. Yes. Uh, and and here's really the here's the key. To. Here's the key. And this goes back to the to, to one of my original comments. That is why it's so important to have that structured chaos because within all those personnel groupings you're going to see similar philosophy. It's not going to be when we're in this alignment, it's a completely new defense. When right. we're in that alignment, it's a completely different defense. There's going to be carryover carry over principles, carryover schemes, carryover calls that are going to make it successful. What those different alignments do is they allow you to better match up personnel-wise. That's what all those different things sure. do. Yep. They give you the ability to attack from different angles, but you're still going to be you – out of those different looks, at least the way that Marcus Freeman does sure. it. And it's part of the reason I think he's such a great coach and why I have had so much excitement about him. From the moment Clark Lee left, Vince, you remember, that was my number one guy. Mm-hmm. And it was because I saw all that. I mean, you can when you can see a guy that is schematically brilliant, yet his players are also fundamentally sound, you say that's the kind of guy you need and want running your defense. And that's a lot of what Clark Lee was, and that's what Mark Marcus Freeman is.
1: Sean also wants to know, how was your birthday? It was great. It was there great.
2: My it was so funny last night, Vince. You know, uh, for those who didn't know, we part of my birthday was my wife and I had kind of a game day, and so we I found a YouTube link that had the Miami game. It was the intro. It was we had to start over at the beginning because my wife was trying to talk through the intro music, and no, I was no, like, no. "Honey, no. I love you, but this is the CBS intro music. <laughs> you do not talk over the CBS <laughs> intro music." And so we had to start over. You know, so we had a little bit of a, a minor, you know, blemish, and she understood, and then she's like, oh, this is really good. Um, but so – and then – so it was commercials and everything, and so it was a lot of fun. But the funny part is she knew who was – she'd never watched the game before, and it had been a long time since I watched it start to finish. And even then, in the fourth quarter, she's, like, over there, like, like nervous. <laughs> and, and when – when remember the, the touchdown that made it 31-30, the Andre Brown one where he rolls over and the ball goes flying? It was clearly an incomplete pass. She's going nuts.
1: He doesn't even have
2: the ball. That's bull crap. That's such a bad call. It was so, I mean, she was literally nervous. Like, I, she, she, she gave me a high five at one point in time when they had a big sack late. And her hands were all clammy and sweaty.
1: That's hilarious. She was
2: getting so into the game.
1: That is hilarious. Uh,
2: so it was a it was a lot of fun. We ate well. We relaxed. I, I didn't put a lot of articles out yesterday because I just wanted to, you know, I don't get many days to just relax and, and, and enjoy good. life. So it's good for it, you. It, it was it was a lot of fun. So thank you, thank you, Sean, for asking. It was, it was it was a lot of fun.
1: Even though, Vince,
2: even though Vince uh, bailed on me and didn't do a podcast with me.
1: Well, uh, I got a gift gave on Gave you your a present on my I birthday. That's- I got a gift on your birthday. I think that's pretty freaking amazing. So Bush League. Uh, Marcus has more of a comment, but I love it. Great to see some players just playing and seemingly not overthinking. Mm-hmm. Already seen dramatic improvements from Leuphiles, Simon, Bauer, playing to their natural aggression yeah. and athleticism. We talked yeah. about that. Agreed. I com- could not agree more Agree uh, with that as well. Uh Jay Clampett Investments, which I think is a hilarious uh name. You, I hope you're using your company YouTube page to comment because I think that would be awesome. But anyway, uh hypothetical question where would you rank this team if this team did not have an ND uniform on it? Uh, if this roster was in any other uniform factoring in current talent and player losses,
2: so that's how I always view it. Me too. Uh, look, here's the thing I'm a Notre Dame fan, but I have said from day one, and this is something some people don't understand. My job. My, I'm a Notre Dame fan. On my birthday, when I'm sitting down, relaxing with my wife, watching the Notre Dame Miami game. When I'm doing podcasts, when I'm writing articles, I am doing it as best to my ability as an objective person. Yep. And so it does me no good professionally. And I'm not saying you're saying this, but it does me no good professionally to hype up Notre Dame when it's undeserved. Sure. It does me no good professionally to predict Notre Dame to, to win every game. No. When when I don't actually believe it. And and then they lose all these games. Well, yeah, it makes you, you look know? stupid. It, it does, I mean, and it makes me look like a Homer. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and I there's I'm plenty not of those already. And so to me, where Notre Dame ranks is exactly if if you take off the Notre Dame and let's just say I grew up a fan of the NFL and didn't really like college football, but I'm covering it now. My opinion, I would I would hope, doesn't change. Uh, are there certain biases in there? Maybe I, but I try hard not to have them. Sure. Uh, but but honestly, I still view this as a – to me, Notre Dame going into the season should be a preseason at worst number seven to eight team in the country. And I Agreed. still think they're a top five or six team in preseason rankings because, A, yes, they have personnel losses, but Notre Dame has been consistently recruiting effectively at the positions where they've had the biggest losses. And, and the places where – you know, there they are some depth questions also happens to be where they have their best players and, and you know, mainly the safety position. So, yeah, the safety position is a depth concern, but it just so happens that their best defensive player plays safety. Yeah. So. So, I, I mean, to me, again, my opinion of Notre Dame when we're doing this show, when when I'm doing writing, when I'm doing anything that's professionally oriented, it is always going to be about me, you, me giving you my honest opinion about where they rank relative to the rest of college football. It would do me no good. To say Notre Dame is a close to being a title winner, if I didn't actually believe it, because then when they go out and go seven and five next year, you're like, "Wow, you're a you're a big freaking idiot. You got one, but let's get. Uh, um, well,
1: I wanted to th- this had to do with what you were talking about. That's the only reason I threw it up. Jacob says the reason some indie fans don't agree with Coach Deer talk. I, yep, out of their behinds. Uh, yeah, about his commentaries because you're honest, good or bad. Mm-hmm. That's what most of us love yeah. about his opinions. Forget the homers. I just wanted to throw that in there because it's right. Yeah. We're, we're honest. Maybe to a fault at times, but that's what it is. I mean, we're going to be able to do that. Well, that's also partly our backgrounds. I mean our
2: coaching backgrounds. But the other part of it too, Vince, is what I learned very early on is if you give a critical take, the home the people that are the homers, yeah. um, and, and I'm meaning that with all due respect in this instance, uh, they're gonna be upset with you because they don't want to hear you be critical. And that's where sure. you get that well, you only coached at this level or whatever childish thing that they're gonna say. Then when you're like you defend when I defended Brian Kelly, because I thought people were unfairly going after him. So, you know, like the decision against Tulsa late in the game, I'm trying to explain why he might make that call, even though it wasn't a great call, but, Oh, you're just a, you're just a Brian. I, I literally got accused a couple (laughs) weeks ago of someone saying that I accept mediocrity because I had said something, me of all people. I was like, of all the people on the beat, you're going to accuse me of accepting mediocrity. Right. I had a guy about three, four months ago, call me a Brian Kelly apologist right? Me. And so not
1: follow what we Right.
2: So what I realized is no matter what side I take, I'm going to get criticism, which is fine. You put your opinion out in a public sphere. You deserve to to allow people to be critical of it. So what I decided early on was I'm just going to give you my honest opinion. And I realized that I'm going to piss different people off with every opinion that I give, but I'm just going to be honest. And I believe that there's a market out there for that. And if I wanted to make more money, I would just be positive all the time. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's more money to be made by being... You're that right. everything is awesome you know like yep. my wife loves doing that from the lego movie she's like everything, everything is, awesome, is awesome you know um, which is okay for you to have watched because you have kids we don't have that excuse we just watched <laughs> it as a husband and wife um <laughs> so <laughs> i could lie and say we took my nieces <laughs> and nephews a nephew to the movie to watch it but well, i'm not gonna having excuse but,
1: ha- having kids is a great excuse to yeah, watch kids movies, yeah by the way but
2: in, but to the point is is like well we're gonna we're gonna i feel that's the best way to be respectful to y'all is yeah. to say look i'm gonna give you my honest opinion and yep. when brian kelly does something to be Critical of, I'm going to say it. I criticize yes. him for his recruiting efforts for a long time. Do you know why I'm not doing that now? Because he's, he's doing a doing better job. Good job. job. Absolutely. It's not yeah. that hard to do.
1: Yeah. It's not Connor, we got to get do. Connor in. I apologize. It should have been right away. Yes. Uh, That's on Vince. That's chat. on
2: your boy, Connor, just so wow. you know. Wow. Yep.
1: That's on your boy. Oh, wow. hurtful hurtful uh thanks for the overview in northern indiana i wasn't saying vermont is bad i'm trying to get out of the mental hospital that is new york city yes look lived. i I lived in chicago for a little while and i know chicago is more laid back than new york city uh but that was still too much hustle and bustle for me Mm. like i i need to i that's why one of the reasons i like indiana is because i know how long it's going to take me to get from point a to point b and I need every one of those minutes because I will wait to the last second to leave. Yeah. like that, That's me. Yeah. Like I'm more my wife was like
2: born that. in Long Island and she said, I'll never move back
1: there. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, no you're, chance. you know, I have a
2: buddy who lives there and he you know, I mean, he, he lives there just because that's where his family is and his job is. But I mean, there's a lot of people that would, especially now it's getting a little bit crazy. But yes, sure. If you're looking to move, my man, I'm telling you, Northern Indiana really, truly is a great you place. You could do a lot worse. Yeah you could yeah. do a
1: lot worse. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to figure Re- out
2: where... real, real quick. Go ahead. Yes. Yep. Okay. Brian, thank you for having my back on that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Even though your name isn't spelled quite correctly, uh, uh, I, I do. I do appreciate that. So yeah, let's let, <laughs> get back up to the top here. Uh, yeah, we you, we, were, right we here. were talking about real quick with Hey, Bob one five seven. This is um, oops. Sorry. It's the, here we go. He said, I could see cart carry G getting some, some reps, John, that was in reference to John's question about that 50 B now that's an interesting so Kerry G's an interesting one because he's gonna start off at safety. But mm-hmm. when you watch, when you look at his body and you look at his his uh skill set, you know, you say, Oh, could he be that guy? Could he be yeah. that third safety? And I don't know if he'll be that as a freshman, but I could certainly see that. And that's another reason that Prince Kali was such an important recruit because he could also be sort of that. Jack Kaiser, Jeremiah Wusukora, Moa. So, and then of course, as we talked about in 2022, they have Nolan Ziegler. So, I'm confident that 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 type of body type, that fifth thing is, which is a hybrid safety linebacker type, is going to be fine moving forward. So, I don't think Notre Dame necessarily has to have sure a full time thing. And I think that allows them to say, okay, let's just take a third corner. And when we're when we have to be in like a true nickel or dime, and we're playing a team that throws it all day you can just pull from that, that cornerback depth chart. It doesn't have to be someone to do it full time because of how well they've recruited that hybrid that hybrid position.
1: Well, Martin wants to know could Nolan Ziegler play safety in our Not defense?
2: the way that Kyle Hamilton plays it, but he could play it in the way that Jeremiah Wusukor Moa and those guys play it. I And the reason I say that, Martin is cuz I think I don't think that Nolan is a is a guy that you want playing 10-12 yards off the ball. I think Nolan is a guy you want closer to the line of scrimmage. I think that's where he can make more impact. Now, what I would say is if Nolan's able to maintain his current level of athleticism, explosiveness, while adding 20, 25, 30 pounds, he could give you a very unique type of weapon. But I just, I don't see that weapon being someone who can play like a pure safety position. I don't, I don't see it now. Um, is Nolan athletic enough to prove me wrong? Yes. It's not about necessarily athleticism. It's about what his game is best at. And his game, to me, is best when he can attack downhill and attack the ball, not someone that's playing over top in cover two or someone who's playing free safety in, in, in the cover one looks. It's get him down closer to the ball and allow his athleticism to take over.
1: All that's right, John. question. Got, John's got a recruiting question. Uh, do you think with the depth we have at defensive tackle that Anthony Lucas might not commit – because of the lack of immediate playing time available? Uh, it's a good. That's actually a really good yeah, question, John. I, think I don't question. think
2: it will be an issue because, number one, there's a good chance that both of your starting interior players are going to be gone after this year. And Kurt Heinisch is gone. And if, and if Jason Attenuola has – like his had, sixth year, right? Yeah, he's going to, I think, end up playing more games than any player in Notre Dame history because he actually played as a true – I mean, he's played – Four years. I mean, he's yeah. been a rotation guy for four years. True. He's taking advantage of that COVID year. He's gone after this year. Uh, I, I think if Jason Adamiola is as good as we think he's gonna be, he's gonna be gone after this year. If he's not as good as we think he's gonna be, then Anthony Lucas isn't gonna be afraid of him. Right. That that's my point. So I also think here's another thing that benefits Notre Dame, and this is something that you know has been an issue on offense. What Notre Dame has proved in the last several years is I don't care if you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, if you can play, we're going to find a role for you. Kurt Heinish played as a freshman. Jason mm-hmm. Adamiola played as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Myron Tungavaloa, Kurt Heinish uh, all played as freshmen. Uh, J- they've played a lot of rookie defensive linemen. They're going to find a role for you. And sure. if you're the best guy, you're going to start. Yeah. And, and so I think that that is something that Mike Elson can sell to say, hey, look, I don't care who we have coming back. If you're a best player, you're going to play, you know. And the other part of it is because they play so many defensive linemen. Mike, the what the, the draft of the last two years has been a godsend to Notre Dame's defensive line recruiting because you can say, "Hey, look, we had a we were in a solid two deep in 2018, and all four of those dudes are in the NFL now. Right. We're going to play depth. We're it's not like." Dalen and Adi sat behind Julian and Khalid for three, four years, yeah. and then got their shot and became NFL players. They, no, they were already on yeah. teams' radars because of what they did as part of rotation. Sure. Uh, so I, I don't think. And plus, he's looking at Alabama heavily too. You don't look at Notre Dame and Alabama if you're someone who's worried about the depth right, chart. Right,
1: Who's worried about not being? Yeah, yeah. right, right, right. And it, and so I don't think and, exactly
2: because and they're confident enough of themselves to say, Hey, I don't care who's in front of me. Uh, if I'm the
1: best guy, I'm I'm going to be there. So Tommy's giving me a hard time about cutting my grass yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. He's saying those lines better be perfect. They are. Don't I
2: worry. I will. I, uh, we'll see. I almost head over there on my way to the store here in a little bit. I think but, you did. Uh, and take a picture and post it, man. Yeah. I, that's what needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Old Grimm said, made, the, made a similar comment to this the other day, and, and yeah. he's saying it again. They are doing a great job of reloading. So, so what I want – this is a frustrating thing for me. In my Midweek Musings article today, I talked about this, that Notre Dame is 11th and 12th in the post-spring top 25 from CBS Sports and ESPN. 11th and 12th. And and here's some teams ahead of them. Cincinnati, Iowa freaking state, North Carolina, and USC is like right behind Notre Dame in some of those polls. Wisconsin's right behind him. And I'm thinking, what what are you smoking? You, You know what I mean? It's like, well, they lost nine players. Yeah. So look what? What, in twenty seventeen they lost two top ten NFL draft picks and the next year they went undefeated. You know, it's like there's this there's still this this thing about Notre Dame, which you should think after four years of being 10 plus wins every single year, uh, that that people would get the point that, hey, this isn't this isn't Notre Dame of 10, right. 15 years ago anymore. Right. And to Old Grimm's point, they're reloading. You lose Dalen Hayes and, and Adi Ogandiji to the NFL draft, and you replace them with Justin Adamiola, Nana. Jordan Patelho Sure. You know, I mean, you lose you lose guys like Javon McKinley and Ben Skoranek and you replace them with Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay, Lawrence Keyes. That's an upgrade. You know, I mean, you, you know, Tommy Trumbull's a third round pick. He wasn't even their number 1 tight end last year. Right. He was their number 2 tight end yeah, last exactly. year. So, this stuff about Nick McCloud, look, they're, they're going to be fine. The, no, and to to Old Grims' point, they're reloading. And that you could take North Carolina who went 8 and 4 got smacked at home by Notre Dame. Lost 2,000 yard running backs, lost a thousand yard receiver, and their best defensive player. And yet they're going to go out there and say they're going to be a top 10 team, and Notre Dame isn't. That's that. That North Carolina has become the new Michigan. It's hilarious. That's what they are. They've become the new Michigan, where every year Michigan gets in the top 10. They're always shocked. Wow, Michigan wasn't as good as we thought they were. They were never that good. You hyped them up. They never deserve that hype. And and I think North Carolina is eventually going to get there. I love what Mack Brown is doing. But how about we let them actually finish in the top 10 first right. before we place them in the yeah. top 10? Uh, because what happened – I mean, they got outclassed by every top 10 – pro. not outclassed because they were they competed with Clemson two years ago. They they battled North Texas A&M despite not having the 2,000-yard rushers and all that. But let's let them win one of those games first before sure. we start throwing them into the top 10. Uh, that just kind of bothers me. And that, that's kind of Old Grimm's point is Notre Dame right now is reloading. They're not rebuilding. They're reloading, and that's right. why I'm more optimistic about this team than maybe some other people are.
1: Martin wants uh, an explanation. Can you explain what Rover actually is? If you have a vid on this, I'll watch it. Thank you, and as always, love the content.
2: So Rover is essentially, you know. So let's look at like a if you think about an old school four three defense, Martin. Mm-hmm. Like, can you go back to the days of of the 1990 NFL? Okay, and you think of you got your four down linemen, you got your four linebackers, you've got the Sam linebacker, the Mike and the Will, and it's kind of a seven man box, right? And you had your traditional tight end, you had your fullback, and you played a seven man box, and you you, know, you play cover two, and your corners, your edge support players, and then you got your safeties playing kind of middle of the field. Uh, you know that's that that was that thing, and so then came along around two thousand, and then it really got going in the the late two thousands, and then the early t- two thousand ten decade where in college especially started seeing teams spreading the field a lot more. So the, the era of the fullback and the tight end and the two tight end sets being the predominant offense kind of went away and tight ends were always attached and, you know, a nine technique, you know, against, you know, with a nine technique outside, that's kind of a, a thing of the past with most teams. And now you're seeing teams that go 11 personnel, a lot people, teams will go 10 personnel, a lot teams that will even be in a 12 personnel and spread things out. And, And so you'll see that. And so that there became a need to where you had two choices. One is you could put your linebackers outside to cover the spread, which then put you in a disadvantage personnel-wise in those matchups against slots and running backs and things like that. Or you had to bring your safety down, which then left you exposed when it came to deep help. So, And it really started, in my opinion, the guy that that mastered this and is the godfather of this is Gary Patterson. Gary Patterson came up with what he called a four-two-five defense. So essentially, it's still the four down linemen. You had two inside backers, but then you developed what I think they called it a hero. I don't remember what their name was, but it was kind of that beginning of that hybrid player where you had a fifth defensive back, but he was more of a guy that could also play the run. He could play the right. perimeter pass. So he could be a force against the perimeter run and the perimeter pass. You could tuck him inside if you needed to get big. You could He was big enough or a good enough tackler that you could kind of bring him inside. He was like a big safety. You could bring him inside, and he could then give you some run support, but he could also be a guy that could defend against the perimeter. And that's even evolved to a lot of degrees. And so now what you're seeing like with Marcus Freeman is you're seeing sort of that 3-3-5 look, but that rover position is more of an outside-the-box position. Yep. And if you look at Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, he didn't play inside the box a lot, even though he was technically a linebacker. He was an out-of-the-box player. He's a space player. So the rover is essentially the replacement of the old-school Sam linebacker. You're bringing in a more athletic player. You're bringing in a player that still allows you to have some advantages inside against the run, which Jeremiah Wusakormo did, but it's more of an athletic, rangier player that allows you to play in space better. And so it was essentially an, an invention of Gary Patterson that allowed them to better handle the spacing with which teams did, without having to go to a pure nickel defense because it still protects you uh, and gives you some of the benefits of being in a base defense. So hopefully that, that uh, is, is helps. But, you know, this is a thing that, Vince, I need to write down. I'm actually going to write this down. Um, but this would be a great football 101 thing for the summer. Yeah. I think because I, I we are going to get to that this summer, but we wanted to get to the spring first. So this is a good one. I think that might be something that,
1: that we might do. Well, John has a, a super chat got to throw it up here, John. Thank you very much for the super chat. He goes, would you rather have Kelly win a title next year, retire, and leave the program in shambles, five years of losing seasons, or spend the next five years winning 10 games a year but with no title? And then he, he kind of clarified some of the uh, searcher green was kind of asking, you know, what, what do you mean leave the program in shambles? John said sanctions, mm-hmm. uh, no, no title, and five years of losing versus no title. And five years of 10 wins, basically. So
2: I would yeah. take the consistency aspect of it because I think that if we're talking about like sanctions and other things in the program and shambles, then that, that, that title doesn't mean as much. You know, and well, there's
1: sanctions, they might even take it away. Right. right. I mean, and, and so to me,
2: if if the option is a, a a tainted title, then I don't want the title. I want the consistency. I think I think a, a more realistic thing for me would be Brian Kelly wins a title next year, retires, and Mm -hmm. then there's a a, a smooth transition into where the next generation can then build on what he established. Sure. And that ultimately is what Brian Kelly's legacy is going to be. It's not just going to be what he does at Notre Dame. And this is one of the things that I think has hurt Lou Holtz's legacy a little bit at Notre Dame, in that he stayed too long. And some of the decisions he made at Notre Dame it's like Brian Kelly struggled early and then developed consistency. Lou Holtz was consistent early and then struggled. And then there wasn't sort of a clear transition to who is next. And then they hired Bob Davey, who was a bit of a backstabber. And there's just all these this mess. Yeah. And then the program kind of wandered in the wilderness for a long time until yeah. Brian Kelly showed up. And it took him a while to kind of get him going. And then now he's got him at a level of consistency to where... Even if Brian Kelly stays, let's just say he stays through 2024, and Notre Dame goes 10-3 and 3 each of the next three seasons, so 21, 22, 23, and 24, so four seasons, they're going to be in a position where Notre Dame is such a far more attractive job now than when Brian Kelly took over. Sure. And so his legacy may not be I won, but, hey, I put the program in position to where the next coach that wins a title is going to get it. And that's partly why I don't think Brian Kelly's going to play out his contract. And let me explain this here because this brings to John's point. I'm, I'm not really on his question anymore because I, I, I don't want really. Te- I don't want either of those options. I want a third option, uh, and that is that Brian Kelly wins either even if he doesn't win a title, but let's say he gets to another playoff appearance. But the the reality is is the the, the they say, hey, look, we're going to allow you to sort of bring your successor in. And, and that's where the, you know, maybe it's Marcus Freeman. If Marcus Freeman does as a coach what we think it is, and so let's say Brian Kelly never wins a title, but he retires in sort of a, I'm retiring so, so, Ma- so Ma- Marcus can take over. Kind of like what Bob Stoops did with Lincoln Riley. You know, like my time is done and, right. and there's someone here that can replace me. And right. I'm, I'm leaving the program in great shape. And That was a
1: weird way to do it, but yes, I. Yes. With, I mean the timing. The timing, I the
2: timing say. yes. But in his defense, it's like, look, I, I I can't do this anymore, yeah. right? Like get I'm it. getting ready for season, and it's just not there. But now Bob Stoops, you know, still kind of has his DNA a little bit on on Oklahoma. If Brian Kelly opens the door for Marcus Freeman to be his replacement, and Marcus Freeman goes out there and, and picks a national, ti- wins a national title, uh, then Brian Kelly is going to be. That's going to be on his legacy, in my opinion. Yes, the new head coach will be the coach that won it, but it's going to change how we view sure. Brian Kelly, in my opinion. At least it will for me. Well, he's going he he to, I believe we have to do it
1: pretty quickly after. Within the first two, over. three years. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. If Marcus Freeman
2: right. wins a title in year nine, right. it doesn't. I'm talking about okay. winning within that first couple of years. Okay. So to to okay. your point, that's a good clarification. Mm-hmm. So, and, and look, somebody says, what if he picks Reese? Well, same thing if Tommy Reese wins it. Like, that's the whole point is if he sure. picks the successor and that successor continues to win. And if that successor can win a title, it's essentially like this. If that successor wins a title that's made up predominantly of recruits that sign with Brian Kelly, then Brian Kelly's, that's going to be part of Brian Kelly's legacy. Sure. In my opinion. I get that. he should he should get credit for that just like some people gave Charlie Weiss credit for the 12-0 season in 2012 when you look at the depth chart and say there's a lot of Charlie Weiss dudes that were part of that. Uh, so I think it does have to happen within those first those first two three years to, to really factor. but that's preferably where I would be John is 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 to have Brian Kelly create a clear succession to where it's not even just about the few years of no title but that Notre Dame is now in a healthier place and as much as I love Lou Holtz and he was a brilliant coach, He's part of the reason Notre Dame was left a mess yeah. and wandered because he he stayed too long and there wasn't really a who's going to be my replacement kind of situation. Sure.
1: And and, and so There's when he left, the program involved. was a yeah. mess. Yeah, there was some stubbornness involved. Hey, yeah. guys, I'm going to have to take off here real quick. Um, I have to get ready for a game. Mm-hmm. So uh, as much as I would love to stick around with the IB family, I've got to get going. Uh, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you for hanging on. Uh, love some of these comments by the way yeah. uh, i'm really enjoying going through these and uh, i will leave you in the ultra capable hands of the uh, former birthday boy brian <laughs> driscoll and uh, <laughs> i will uh, i will see you guys on friday because it's what on friday brian friday. it's friday free for all baby friday Woo! free for all all right guys i will uh, i'll catch you later have a wonderful rest of the day and i will see you on friday
2: Gonna go back up here to the top. Notre Dame two one six four asks. I hope our season is, says. I hope our season is ruined before we figure out how to run the new offense. I, I honestly don't think it will be. I think number one, the defense is going to be good enough to do that. And the second part of it is, I don't think it's going to take the offense eight nine games to figure it out. I mean, I think Wisconsin's like what game four, and, and Wisconsin's a team that I don't think you have to score forty points to beat. I, I do believe that the offense will get it figured out within the first three games. And those are all very winnable games, even if your offense doesn't light the world on fire. So I don't think the season's going to be ruined. I mean, could we see a loss? We talked about that the other day. I could see a loss in this situation, but it's not a, you know, one loss doesn't ruin your season. We've seen that with Notre Dame in the past. They lost a game, second game of the year in 2017. They climbed all the way up to number three in the rankings. Um, they lost early in 2019 and climbed up inside the top 10 before they lost to Michigan. If they'd have beat Michigan, Notre Dame's probably in the top four. So we've seen that in the past, where where a loss has not completely... 2015 was another one. Notre Dame had a loss early, actually somewhat middle of the season against Clemson, and still was able to be in the top four before playing terrible against BC and, and Wake Forest and then falling out of the top four, and then, of course, ultimately being knocked out by a loss to Stanford. So I don't think a loss would ruin the season, and I don't see Notre Dame getting two losses. i you know, we talked about this the other day, and I mean I could see a couple of those teams being capable of beating Notre Dame. I'd be shocked if two of them actually did. And then I think by that point in time, after that first loss, you get to the Virginia Tech game, and then there's the bye week. You know, I think by that point in time the offense should be should be cruising pr- cruising along pretty well. All right, so very good questions. Looks like Vince worked through a lot of these uh, these questions here, real quick. We got the rover question. Okay, Jay says, we still haven't seen what Chance C- Tucker can do at Notre Dame. I'm excited for the corner play. I agree, Jay, and I would also throw JoJo Johnson in there. I saw a picture of JoJo the other day, and he looks absolutely ripped, absolutely ripped up uh, from that, absolutely. Uh, Old Grimm says, the three-minute clips didn't show us as much as much a corner. I, I would say that's true to a degree, but the thing that I looked for is when – when corners are getting beat in plays, how did they play the ball? How did they – you know, were, were they in good position? How were they tackling? Did, were they able to make plays on the ball? We could see a little bit, but not – I mean, we couldn't learn a whole lot from those three-minute clips, period. But that's why I put so much with the corner position. I put so much on my sources, but then also seeing that in the blue-goal game. It confirmed a lot of the things that I was being told by my sources, which is it's still very much a work in progress, but they definitely made steady, steady growth. Throughout the spring. All right, here we go. This is a good question from from John De, DeCrisio. Uh, what physical and mental traits make a good safety versus the traits that make a good cornerback, other than coverage skills? I, I honestly don't think. Well, overall, there isn't really much difference from a, a physical and mental trait standpoint. If you're, if you have the mental traits to play safety, you can play corner. If your physicality is there, if you have the physical traits. And I think that one of the traits that, that are different for a cornerback, and it's not just about coverage skills, but it's the physical traits that lead into being coverage skills. A lot of safeties aren't quite as fluid and smooth. And, and the transition ability transition is basically the ability to go from either a backpedal, uh, which some teams still do. Nick Saban doesn't teach backpedal. They kind of do a turn, a side thing, but even then, you have to be able to open and run and the the fluidity and the the smoothness and the cleanness with which you can do that. I've seen four, four corners and had trouble covering because they would always be tight in their transitions. And then you can get, you can beat them. And then there's other corners that are four, five, four, six guys that are really smooth players. So they're always playing at full speed and that allows them to be effective. So all those speed is important. I think to me, the agility, flexibility, uh, bat, your ability to bend your your ability to open up and run with really smooth fluid transitions if you have tight hips you're going to have trouble playing cornerback in a team that and on a defense that asks guys to cover i think some of the some of the mental traits that separate a safety from a corner is a corner is very much focused on sort of his job and immediately inside okay so a cornerback has to not only cover his guy but if you're playing zone or even part of a pattern match zone which is kind of a hybrid man zone that Alabama runs. You're peddling, you've got to keep your eyes in on that number 2 receiver, right? And if I'm if I'm dropping and I'm in zone, if I'm dropping and I'm covering this guy deep, if an outcut comes, I've got to take that outcut and then the safety's going to take he's going to see that. And so the safety's got his eyes on number 2. He sees that guy go on an outcut, he then opens up and runs and takes the vertical route then I, as a cornerback, have to be able to play that. But that's kind of my wheelhouse, right? It's that guy in front of me, that guy right inside. A Safety has to be able to see so much more of the field and has to react to more. There's more things that will influence what a safety does. He has to be able to key the running back in some instances. He has to be able to key the line in some instances. He has to fit uh, uh, off of guys in front of him so like a cornerback as a tackler doesn't have to fit i mean you have run support you're the you're the support player which means you either tackle a guy or you funnel him back inside Uh, some defenses will have a corner spill and they run him to the sideline but most will kind of say hey you gotta for if you can't make the tackle, you gotta force that guy back inside where all of our help is whereas a safety has to come in and fit so a fit is essentially if i'm the safety and i'm behind the rover okay and they're running a bubble screen and the rover goes underneath the blocker. All right. So he's fitting inside, which is usually wrong. I have to make him right by then fitting outside. If he goes outside, I have to fit inside. That's a run fit. And so it, it's it's if a lot if you're playing behind linebackers, you know, if the linebacker gets blocked by an outside blocker, I have to then protect him and go outside and, and, and take that if he goes over top of that blocker, then I have to fit behind him to make sure that there's that, that we've protected that. So a safety has a lot on his plate when it comes to knowing what's happening with everybody. The safety has to make a lot of the calls because he can see things that are happening uh, pre-snap and post-snap where a corner is more of the one getting the call. Now there are times when corners will communicate to the other people, but it's usually the safety that are making the checks, the coverage checks, the coverage changes, uh, and those type of things. So I, I think mentally there's a big difference. Safety, uh, physically, I think ideally you want a safety that can do all the things that a corner can do. Mentally, there's a lot of different changes, and and you can protect a safety that lacks some certain physical tools more so than can you you can you can a corner. So I hope that that answers your question. Matt Carter asks, thoughts on Litchfield Ajavon and how he might make an impact this fall? You know, and he didn't – he was often the target of losses in, in the videos that we saw. He wasn't making a whole lot of plays in the videos. I thought he played well in the game, though. I thought he was laying wood. I mean, he was hitting people. He blew up Joe Wilkins in the end zone and knocked that ball out. He had another big hit uh, near the line of scrimmage. I, I think the problem with Litchfield is Litchfield's kind of built like a corner but he, he plays more like a strong safety. And he's not a guy that, to me, is someone you want to cover a lot. If they can put him in situations where he can be a support, a run support player, an alley player, I think there's a role for Litchfield. But he's, he's going to be, in my opinion, a little bit more limited in some of the things he can do. All right. Michael Moore says, I don't think Kyle Hamilton has come close to hitting his stride. Do you think offenses can play around him? And what corner do you think needs to step up? So, yes, I do think teams can try to defend against playing around Kyle Hamilton. But the the way that Marcus Freeman, from what I understand, is teaching safeties is Kyle's going to be the field safety and Houston's going to be the boundary safety. But they're both learning those positions, which allows them to be somewhat interchangeable. That is an important thing that they've made very clear to the safeties is you can't just learn one. You have to learn them both. And then that allows Marcus Freeman to move Kyle Hamilton around more to say, hey, look, if you want to try to game plan away from him, then we have things we can do, A, with him to protect him, to make sure that you can't avoid him. But then that also obviously is going to put pressure on other players and allow other players to to make up for that. Last year, if you tried to avoid Kyle Hamilton, it usually meant you were running to Jeremiah Cormoa or vice versa. This year, they're not going to have that second elite, second level, second or third level player, at least as of right now. And that's why it's so important that Jack Kaiser emerge and that Shane Simon emerge and, and those type of players. As far as the corner that needs to step up, I, I don't think it's one. I think it's I think Cam Hart and Tariq Bracy both need to continue stepping up. It's important that you have three cornerbacks. Um, uh, John A1 says, what school did you coach at in North Carolina? I didn't coach at a school in North Carolina. I actually played my freshman year of college at a school at a college in North Carolina. Um, And then uh, transferred out of there and and went to to Salisbury in Maryland. So that was uh, that was my that's what took me to North Carolina. Now I coached against teams in North Carolina was Christopher Newport, but I never coached at a college in North Carolina. Demetrius Rex says South Bend is a great town compared to other Midwestern towns coming from a northwestern Ohio local. I would agree. I'm also a Northwestern Ohio guy. I was born in Lyme, Ohio. So I would uh I would agree with that. I would, I, I very much and I like nor I like northern Indiana. I like the South Bend Granger. We live in Granger, which is kind of right in the outskirts of South Bend. Vince and I and Lou actually, so Vince and I lived on in a neighborhood on one side of the street, and then the street ran between us, and on the other side was another neighborhood. That's where Lou lived. So we all kind of lived. We all kind of live together, but it's a very quiet area, lots to do. You're 10, 15 minutes away from all the things. Um, I I, I like it here. And like I said, I've lived in a lot of different places. Okay, Marcus, uh, Notre Dame 2164, which part of the defense does Notre Dame does Freeman's defense need to be strong to succeed? He answered this question perfectly and he said it's the defensive line. I mean, look, if they don't have a great front, if they don't have an active, productive front, then they're not going to be an elite defense. They can still be good, but I think to take it even further, the first two levels of the defense have to be elite for this defense to be good. They're going to be aggressive with their coverages. They're going to play a lot more man, and I don't care who you have at cornerback. You could have the two best corners in the country. If your defense isn't isn't really good up front, then A, teams are just going to run on you, and two, even the best cover players can't cover for long periods of time all the time. If you can't put pressure on the quarterback, if you can't be disruptive on the ball, eventually you're going to play teams that can match you personnel wise on the perimeter and they're going to be able to beat you. And that's why it is so important to to hear, um, to hear that. Here we go. Um, all right. John Thomas wall says, what's the word on John, the door does he have the, ju- does he have his juice back this spring ended pretty rough last year. Thomas is too early to tell. I, I couldn't answer that. It's, you honestly, practice doesn't matter. It, it we're not going to know that till he gets out in games, and and if we can see him being more consistent when it comes to his success in games, uh, we're we're not we're we're just not going to know that right now. It's it's too early to know that. Here's a good question: Notre Dame two one six four says, other than Kyle Hamilton, who is Notre Dame's best defender this year? It's a really good question. I think if we looked at last year, like who was our, our the the best defenders last year, it'd, it'd be you know Kurt Heinisch. It would be. Drew White is in that conversation. I think those are the guys that I would say would fit that that mold as far as who's the best guy. As I project into 2021, I think Notre Dame's best players beyond Kyle Hamilton is going to be some combination of Jason Adamiola, Isaiah Foskey, Myron Tungavaloa, and Jack Kaiser. That, that's just my opinion. Uh, that, that would be who I would project to be that. But I think we're going to also see you know, we're going to see other guys. I mean, guys are going to flash, and that's the key, is you you need your base top players to perform well. But the difference between the, the really good defenses and the great defenses are each week somebody else is going to step up and make plays that help you win games, and that's going to be the key. Especially to an earlier question, when teams are avoiding Kyle Hamilton, or they're avoiding, let's say, Jack Kaiser, or Isaiah Foskey, or somebody like that, then you have to have guys can then come in and say, okay, what well, I'm going to go out and make, uh, you know, I'm going to go in and make, I'm going to make my play. I'm going to take take make my and I think that's what made Notre Dame the last couple of years so good is because one week it's Jeremiah Wusu making a game changing play, the next week it's Adi Ogundiji, the next week it's Stalen Hayes, the next week it's Kyle Hamilton, and when you can have that, it's going to allow you to be very very, very effective. Michael Johnson says I have uh, I've listened to the serious crowd and that's a serious XM radio and they don't seem to see Notre Dame as a top 15 team. What the f are they looking at? It's it's all it, people like that. In my opinion, Michael, it's all about. It's all about ratings. it's all about it's all about saying that little hot take that gets people talking about their show, gets people like you come and ask people like me about it. Uh, I just to me uh, it's it's nonsense. My dad listens to Sirius XM radio and he's constantly calling me about similar things and complaining about it. I'm like, these people say dumb things all the time. Why do you continue to listen to them? Uh, anyone that doesn't think Notre Dame is a top 15 t- team is still thinking that this is Notre Dame from 10, 15, 20 years ago. And those people aren't serious analysts. They're not. Uh, it, you know, To me, if you want to argue they're 10, 11, 12, I don't agree with it, but I can understand it. But for me, you know, with what Notre Dame has done in recent seasons, if, if somebody doesn't think they're a top 15, then that person's just saying things either A, the person does not know what they're talking about, or B, they're saying it for effect. They're saying it for shock value, which sadly is what a lot of our Commentary and sports and politics has become it's no longer on a subjective analysis that you can choose to engage in, in, in ideas, it's more of hot takes, it's the Skip Bayless nonsense, as opposed to someone giving real anal- analysis. And you know, those are the, the people that tend to get paid, and and that's what people want, they want to get paid, so they choose to go uh, those things. All righty, Br- uh, Bevan O'Neill, who is the third string viper right now? Bevin? I don't know if they have one, I think that that Devin Upow probably is the leader of the clubhouse going into to fall camp because he played there. But we saw Osita Iguanu playing some Viper this spring. Uh, he's now listed as a defensive end on the depth chart. That would mean that maybe that they feel they, they're they not ready for the freshman to take over. And then, of course, Will Schweitzer got hurt, which would hurt, hurt it a little bit more. So you know, maybe that's a role that Ekwandu uh, can jump into and have an opportunity to kind of have a niche there as a really athletic edge player. I don't know if that's going to be a full-time move for him or not, but I, I think that's right now is to uh, to uh, a, to be determined type of situation. Let's see here. Let's see here. Uh, great comment, Tommy, about the, uh, the D3 or two in the Xbox and PlayStation. I'm not going to put it up, but that is a, a phenomenal comment. Lauren Hamilton asks, thank you, Lauren, with current depth chart on both sides, would Hunter Spears have a better chance of getting playing time at offensive line or defensive line? You know, I still have never gotten an answer, Lauren, about why he was moved to the offensive line in the first place. I don't know if it was injury related or what, but I would have loved to have seen him get an opportunity to develop as a nose tackle. I, Hunter Spears was one of my favorite defensive line recruits the last five years. Even, he was so good in high school when he was healthy. And I think that's kind of the thing, Lauren. Is th- that his inability to stay healthy has has hindered his ability to to really push for a spot at either place? I think the depth chart is to your question. The depth chart is probably better for him to to push at offensive line if he was healthy. But his skill set is best at nose tackle. To where I felt if he was still playing there, he could have he could have helped, especially with some of the injuries they had this past year. I, I really believe Hunter could have played there. The issue is, you know, he, he's been banged up. He had multiple knee injuries, I believe, in high school. Definitely had one, and he didn't play this spring. He was hurt all spring. So I don't know if – I don't know where his current status stands, but I still would have liked to have seen Hunter get a chance to play on the defensive line. Okay. Thomas Walsh says, hit the like button. I appreciate that. Definitely, definitely would like to have that. Uh, the Trek reviewer says, Notre Dame's last two Rovers are both in the NFL. And not only that. But they were also fourth round picks or higher. Drew Tranquil was a fourth round pick. Now, the di- and Jeremiah Wusu Kormos is a second round pick. Now, here's the difference though: Drew Tranquil wasn't drafted as a rover. Drew Tranquil was drafted more for what he did as an inside linebacker in 2018. I don't think Drew would have been able to play in space the way that Jeremiah Wusu did. He was more of a, an inside linebacker guy. But to your point. Th- I mean, look, Drew, in his one year as a Rover, had 10.5 tackles for loss. And remember, he had a big interception against Georgia uh, as well, playing a coverage. So he was a very unique player. But to, yes, you're absolutely right. And I wouldn't be shocked if someday we see Jack Kaiser getting drafted. Okay. We got to John's question. Uh, John, I hope I answered that question uh, appropriately. The one, uh, and I very, very much appreciate the, the super chat. But I hope I answered that question. If you if you'd like to ask it a different way or kind of a follow up, please feel free. I, I I'd love that. I think that's a really interesting especially off-season conversation to have. All right, Sean McArdle says is is Hines or Cross big enough to anchor a 335. Okay, so this is a very good question. Now, your thought is coming from I assume, correct me if I'm wrong here, that you're you're thinking of they're playing nose and the thought of a nose is traditionally that he's a bigger lewis Nix type of uh, you know, you look at Terrence Cody and guys like that at Alabama. That 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 two gap player. The thing about Notre Dame's three three five is they are not a gap eating defensive line, so they don't have to anchor per se. The, how they're going to anchor is not so much size and and the, the actual anchoring where you've got to take on two guys. And what it means to anchor is, you know, so if I'm a nose tackle, right? And Lewis Nix was great at that, and I love using him as an example because he was, you know, I think a lot of people's one of their favorite players. But uh, he was so big and strong that he could come off the ball, and if you had two guys on him, he could just stay right there. You weren't going to move him, and that allowed Manti to, you know, so he could occupy two blockers, and that allowed Manti to kind of run. And when you look at the Pitt game, for example, when Lewis didn't play in the first half, Pitt was getting up to Manti and chopping him the whole game, and that's why Pitt had so much success. Lewis came back in the second half, played a little bit, and it, and that's when the defense started being able to make more plays. That's not how this three down look will be. This will be more of an attacking, uh, penetrating line game. So a lot of slant. So you'll see a lot more. So one thing I've said before, and, and it fits here, is you're always, almost always against teams that will run. You're almost always going to have a fourth guy inserting, whether it's an outside linebacker an inside linebacker. You're going to have somebody coming downhill and inserting at the snap. And, and they're going to do a lot of line games. So you may have the nose slanting this way. The linebacker comes off of him. The nose loops. The top, the end comes in. They're going to do a lot of things like that. They're not going to be asking those guys to just come off and say, you've got the A gaps. And that's what two gap means is I got to be strong enough to be able to play both A gaps. They're not going to ask their noses to do that. So I don't think they need to be big enough to do that. Um, can, they, can they hold their ground at times? Heinish can. Yes. Cross is not a guy you're going to have to do that. When, whenever Clark Lee asked him to to anchor even a little bit, he got knocked off the ball. I think Mike Elson and Marcus Freeman both understand that you can't ask him to do that. He has to be allowed to attack. That's where getting Lacey hit back healthy will be important because he gives you a second bigger body to help. And that's also why in my midweek musings, one of the guys I talked about as a sophomore that could really be, have an impact is Aiden Anna because he's 6'3", 3'12". He can anchor. So if you're in a game against Wisconsin or you know if Stanford goes back to what they used to be or you're playing a team that's really good at running the football, you have a young kid with some ability to say, hey, we're going to play Aiden more this game because we need a nose that can anchor. And then you can even move – if you're going to be in a four-down look, you can move Heinish out to you know three technique and play him there if you wanted to really get big inside. So I, I do think if they need to anchor, you're going to see more of, of Heinish, Lacy, and Keanu Ana playing nose and Howard wouldn't be doing that again in their base defense, however, which is going to be more attacking. You're going to see more of Howard cross. Oh, Liam gaming says Freeman is a big proponent of man to man. Will he start out with more conservative approach until everyone gets their footing, especially the O if it struggles? No, I I don't think so. I, I think, if anything, it'll double down on his desire to be more aggressive because if the offense is struggling, the last thing you want to do is be conservative and let teams kind of move the ball up and down the field. You want to create mistakes. You want to give your offense short fields, which means attack, turnovers, do those types of things. You know, will they, will they alter how much they play press man? Maybe, but I don't think they're going to go away from playing a lot of man coverage. Uh, I think they're going to want those guys to go out and improve and, and battle and challenge and you know, force quarterbacks to have to read down the field. You don't allow quarterbacks to get in early rhythms of throwing hitches and quick outs and slants and slides and things like that, which can happen if you're playing off coverage. Make that quarterback. If you're going to beat me, you're going to have to beat me throwing the ball down the field. In order to throw the ball down the field, your offensive line is going to have to protect your quarterback, and we don't think you can do either one of those things. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that. Okay, let's get back up here. uh, They just booted me down. Okay, Casey Martinez with a 3-3-5. Should we start recruiting guys like Lewis Nix to stuff the middle of the line? Uh, I think that that Casey I'd refer kind of this reason I brought this up is because it refers back to what we just talked about um, with the previous question that, uh, that was answered before, which is I don't think that's the kind of that Sean McArdle asked. That's not the kind of three down defense they're doing. Look, Even back when 3-4 was a really popular thing, there were two types of 3-4s. There was the 3-4-2 gap, which is what Notre Dame ran with Bob Diaco, but then there was a 3-4-1 gap, which is more of an attacking, penetrating defense. This defense finds more of its roots in that aggressive penetrating, which does not require you to have a big nose. I don't think that's needed as a full-time thing. Now, if you can find a guy that's a decent athlete like Aiden Anna or Gabriel Rubio that are bigger bodies that can can play a little bit of a versatile game, that's great, but you don't need a 320-plus pound nose tackle to just eat up space. That's not That's not what this defense is going to be about. Martin Dam, this is an interesting one. If Kelly's legacy is Marcus Freeman, and what he's saying here is that Kelly leaves at some point in time, Marcus Freeman takes over and wins a title, I would imagine somewhat soon. Should Kelly get a statue? That's a very interesting question. I'd be curious to hear what people think about that because part of me says, you know, the guy that actually wins the title should be the one to get that. But at the same time, you know, Brian Kelly was in a different situation. It it had been a – I don't know if – had Notre Dame ever had the kind of success, the sustained mediocrity that they had from the end of the Lou Holtz era to the beginning of the Brian Kelly era? I don't know if they've ever had that long – they've never gone that long uh, without winning a title. I'm pretty sure of that. So his situation that he inherited was completely different. And if he stays 13 years and, you know, he ends his career with like six straight 10 plus one seasons, and then Marcus Freeman takes over and, you know, wins a title in 22, 23 or 24, does Kelly get a statue? Do both of them get a statue? I think it'd be a very interesting debate. Very, very interesting debate. And I, and I could make a case on both of them. So, So I'd like to hear what people think about that. Okay. Searcher Green says, "Doesn't he pass Newt this year? Yes, but he also coached way, way more games. So yes, he 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 will pass him. But I, again, it's kind of like Ian Book being you know in the the passing numbers. It's different era, right? So right now, if Brian Kelly wins nine games, it means he lost three or even four. When Newt Rockney was coached, if Notre Dame won nine games, they were usually undefeated. So it's just it's a it's a different." It's a different era. And that's why I like looking at win percentage. And he also died tragically while, like, you know, kind of still in his prime. I prefer win percentages. And when you look at win percentages, Brian Kelly, I think, is like fifth or sixth at Notre Dame in win percentage because it, it takes into account all of those type of things. Oh, here's a good one. Okay. Dan Squatch. Uh, while I got y'all here, I'm just a Florida State fan doing my scouting. Appreciate you being part of the show, uh, Dan. What you did on defense is y'all's biggest unknown right now. I think it's it's sort of the secondary as a whole. Even though Kyle Hamilton is a is a great player, there's still questions about how good can Houston Griffith be at the other safety spot? Can the corners be good enough to play the kind of coverage that that Marcus Freeman wants? Uh, can they can they can they go five DBs when they need to? What if there's an injury? If someone's not playing well, do they have the depth? I think still right now the the secondary as a whole, outside of Kyle Hamilton, is Notre Dame's biggest question. I think the defensive line looks great. Linebacker, I'm 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 pretty confident in. Even though the the one will spot is one that you know is a little bit of a concern, but you know Drew White comes back, Mike, and if he gets beat out, it you know Bo Bauer's gonna have to be pretty good to beat him out. Rover, I think they're gonna be good with Jack Kaiser, Shane Simon, and Maris Lufau will at least be a solid, serviceable at will linebacker. The big questions for me still remain the, the, the secondary, primarily the cornerback position. They had good springs, but they still have to, they still have a lot to prove. And, and, and we we got into that a little bit earlier in the show. All right, Jordan Schreiber says, Can you talk about Tyler Buckner's throwing motion from the spring game? Did he smooth out the new delivery or go back to the old delivery? Was he as good short or long? He still has some kinks he's working out. He is he has finally found to me the middle ground between the two throwing motions. I was fine with his old throwing motion to be honest with you. I still you Jordan, if you've listened to me long enough, you know that I'm not someone who who wants to tinker with a throwing motion, especially for someone who is as good as Tyler Buckner. You I only tinker with it if there's a problem that needs to be addressed. They took something that to me wasn't broken and broke it. Uh that's what we saw from Tyler last summer. It appears that he's now more comfortable with it. The problem that he's going to have, I think it's something that he has said was meant to help make him more accurate on shorter throws. The problem, however, is that it has led to a tendency where at times, especially when he can't really wind up and throw, it causes him to not get as much power on downfield throws. That concerns me because the one thing Tyler Buckner could do phenomenally well before they altered with his throwing motion is he had a very powerful arm down the field now it's a little bit more inconsistent we've seen some throws during seven on sevens and one on ones where he can really you know get the, the 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 core involved and really drive off his back leg and get that in there and just rip off deep balls but then we saw in the game on saturday the blue gold game where he tries to throw a deep ball but he he kind of he's not able to really get his his whole body he doesn't really get that that torque into the throw and he woefully underthrows brain lindsey those are some of my concerns. We're short to intermediate. He looks good, but the deep stuff is, is the thing that right now is still a little bit inconsistent because he's still adapting to that. Um uh, he's still adapting to to that that throw in motion. And hopefully it continues to evolve. Omar Austin asks, What position does Prince Kali fit into in Freeman's defense? So my understanding is they're going to start him off a rover. I would definitely give him a shot to be a rover. But one of the things I liked about Prince is I think he could play outside or inside. If if they don't like him at rover, I certainly think he could play Will in this defense. There's no question. I think he could be a Mike in this defense. I think Prince Kali's the kind of guy that has the athleticism and the power combination that is similar to what Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa had. The difference is Prince is going to show up as big, if not bigger, than Jeremiah Wusu was as a senior. And Jeremiah was barely 200 pounds when he arrived. Prince is going to show up at least 210 to 215 pounds. So I think that's a difference. And I, I'm very excited to see just where he ends up. But part of the excitement about him, Omar, is I don't think there's just one position he can fit into. I think he can play multiple positions in this defense. I think it's going to be about where, his, where is he most comfortable. And number one, and then number two, what position is going to allow him to get on the field the fastest? That is part of it, in, in my opinion. Casey Martinez says ability to scan the offense just as much as quarterback does for the defense. Our safety play is crucial for our success. I think in modern football, safety play is crucial for, for anybody. I think the thing that I like about Marcus Freeman's defense, and this isn't pushing back on your comment, Casey, this is building off of it is I think at times Clark Lee put too much on the shoulders of the safeties. Whereas now there's going to take some of that burden off and put some of that burden, especially against the run game on the linebackers. And that's going to allow, allow Notre Dame to to be a more effective effective football team defensively against the run and the pass. Now, Notre Dame went through a stretch last year where they were running the ball. They were stopping the run really well, and that faded down the stretch. I, I think that taking a little bit off the safety's plate is going to be good for the defense. Bevan O'Neill asks, all right, Bevan, hey, let me get to his question. Uh, here we go. Bevan O'Neill. if we get Arch Manning – we will win a national championship. You agree. Uh, He's a sophomore in high school. Uh, Look, if his name was Arch Jones and he was the same exact player and from the same exact high school and he wasn't a Manning, I I don't think we'd be having this conversation. And and that's just to me, there's not a sophomore in high school that I'm gonna look at and say, yep, no name gets that guy, they're gonna win a national championship. That's so incredibly unfair to that kid. Number one. Number two, there's a few quarterbacks that I look at and say, this kid has a chance to be a special player. Dante Moore I've talked about. This is a loaded quarterback class. It's not an Arch Manning or bust type of situation. They're not going to get Arch Manning. I'd, I just, I'll just, i be shocked if they get Arch Manning. I'll be shocked if Arch Manning takes an official visit to Notre Dame ever. Maybe he comes as part of a Midwestern swing. But look, focus on other quarterbacks, not just on Arch Manning, okay, number one. Number two, he's a sophomore in high school. Let's let the kid physically develop, because right now, if you put him at Notre Dame right now, no, they're not winning a national championship, because he's a sophomore in high school. I want to see him develop first, which is also, I want to see Dante Moore develop. I want to see Malachi Nelson develop. I want to see a lot of these quarterbacks develop. They're still young. I love the potential, but they're still young. Okay. Lace, uh Liam Games, I hope Lacey doesn't get buried in depth. He has he has that toughest dirt mentality like Highness. I agree. And that's why I think we'll see a, a deep rotation next year at guard. Omar, I feel I feel your pain. I get where people are coming from and the name and, and 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 it's a combination of the name and the fact that a lot of fans rightfully believe that quarterback is the thing holding Notre Dame back from being a national champion. So I, I do understand it. And then you have this kid who comes from a lineage of great championship quarterbacks and you kind of get excited, but, but I, I, I get what you're saying. I just say there's other guys that can do that. And it's not just, there's a guy on the roster already that I think can do that, but I, I get it. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll, see what happens. David L says, do you see any position changes for fall camp? <sighs> You know, I could see a scenario, and I and I I don't know if I'd go there yet, and I hope that it doesn't happen, but I could see a scenario in which maybe a, a corner moves to receiver. If, if there's another injury, maybe there's a summer injury at receiver or somebody's not developing physically coming along the way that they hope or there's a transfer. I'm not predicting any of those things. I'm just saying hypothetically if those things happen, I could see a, a corner, one of the corners or safeties who played receiver, a JoJo Johnson – you know, Ramon Henderson, somebody like that, that's played receiver moving over beyond that, any position changes would be within your position, you know, going from a will to a mic or a mic to a will, or, uh, you know, three technique to nose tackle to guard, stuff like that. I think most of that stuff would be within your position group. I don't see anything big happening, uh, unless there is a further development that we don't know about just yet. Thomas Wall says, in my opinion, big mistake if they don't get Lacey snaps. He's a classic nose guard run stuffer and can get inside that inside pass rush. Healthy with snaps, he's a beast, would be better than Heinish in my opinion. I think he could be, but again, the, the whole thing is you said if healthy. The reason that Notre Dame did not play Jacob Lacy as much in 2020 is because he was never healthy. It was not a decision based on wanting to get another player in there. It wasn't based on anything other than Jacob Lacy wasn't healthy. And when you talk about big guys and shoulder problems that can get tricky and those don't always come back healthy. So I do believe that, w- that, that yes, he could be very good, but he's got to be healthy. And that's the only reason they didn't play him a ton last year. I and mean, they played him. I'm actually going to look this up now that we're talking. Cause I am curious about this. I'd be very curious to see what his snaps were in 2020 as a sophomore compared to what his snaps were in 2021 or 2019 as a freshman, because It didn't seem like he played as much this past year. And again, a big part of that was he just wasn't healthy. So this year in 12 games, Jacob Lacey played 149 snaps. In 2019, as a true freshman, he played 247. So just under 100 fewer snaps in uh, one fewer game. So again, that was about his health, pure and simple. And if he's healthy, they're going to play him. I, I believe that. All right. Connor Patton with the joke of the day. Uh, my top picks for the next head coach: Chad Morris, Don Brown, Brian Van Corder. I'm 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 going to pretend you didn't say that. I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. Jo- Joe says I think that the schedule is manageable. We have an elite defense, improving offense, and the only thing that's lacking is the special teams. Let them run. I, I would say there's a little bit more than that, and I would say that we do. I do wish people would clarify the difference between the coverage units and the return units. Notre Dame's special teams coverage units the last two years have been exceptional uh, in my opinion their kicking game operation with John the door has been inconsistent but that's more of in John the door's head the issue on special teams is the return game and the return game and the coverage are two different things and we have to not lump them all together because Notre Dame is already really good at two things their net punt average is exceptional because of how good of a punter Jay Bramlin is now he doesn't get the boomers but he gets great hang time he's more consistent than Tyler Newsom was, and it's hard to get a return against Jay Bramlett. The kickoff coverage is exceptional. Their return area is where they need work, and then obviously John the Doors' mental consistency. A lot of Jacob Lacy talk. Let's see here. uh Michael Moore said yesterday, "Hey, uh, yesterday you said that the offensive guard that Dylan Gibbons that went to Florida State would give them no names playbook. Does that really happen? I think that is crap." I'm not saying he did it. What I said was, I'll make sure we're clear is Notre Dame has to assume he did because you can't, you can't take the chance of, well, no, he wouldn't do that, that, that he's not going to give them the playbook because his loyalties are no longer to your program. His loyalties are now to Florida state. And if they want this playbook and they ask for it and he gives it to them, you have to be prepared for that. So I'm not accusing Dylan Gibbons of anything. I'm simply telling you what happens in coaching. Look, I've been in situations where we have coached against teams where one of their assistants or coordinator is one of our former coaches. You have to assume that they're going to have the signals and they're going to know the calls. So you have to adjust and adapt that week. That's what I'm saying. You have to assume it happened so that way you can be prepared for it in case it does. And if it doesn't, then you're still fine, but you've made the adjustments. So I hope that that we're clear on that. I'm not saying he did it. I'm not accusing Dylan of anything. I'm telling you as a coach, this is what has always happened. You always have to be prepared for whether it be a transfer or a or a coach going to another school. Uh, you have to assume that that is something that other teams are going to have. And you have to act accordingly, is what I'm saying. John Klimax says, I agree we don't have a name at the second level of D, but as a whole, I think they are faster. Uh, the linebackers could be scary. Kaiser impressed me and could be that guy. Marison Simon still got to show me uh, got to show me. And I agree. There's a lot of guys that got to show me. I think the potential of the second level is very, very good. I just think right now, it's still a bit of a, I, I need to see them do it in games more, I think is where I'm at, John, is there's a lot of potential. And and uh, especially with Jack Kaiser and, and Drew White, Bo Bauer combination, and even Simon and Maris Louisville, there's a lot of talent there, but but those guys got it. Those guys got to show it. Jordan Schreiber, thank you so much for the super chat. Jordan, I appreciate that very, very much. Best ND team, hungry players and coaches with an easier recent schedule with no Goliath plus W, most of the tougher teams being at home. Why ND loses one game? Okay, so I agree with everything you're saying. I think this is is a chance to be one of Notre Dame's best teams from a talent standpoint from across the board. I don't know if they have as many elite high-level players as some past teams, but they're close. They do have elite players. I think that Kyle Hamilton is an elite player. Michael Mayer is an elite player. I think Kyron Williams isn't far from being an elite player. I think that there's some defensive linemen that could be elite players. At the very least, they can be an elite group. So they have the high level talent and the depth is much better. The reason that we say I could see them losing a game is because it is incredibly hard to go undefeated. I mean, look, here, here's here's the deal. I'm I'm going to pull this up cuz this is really Nick Saban's first national championship at Alabama was an undefeated team, right? They went thir- 14-0 in 2009. Okay, in 2011, they won a national title, lost a game in the regular season. 2012, they won a national title, lost a game in the regular season. 2013 and 2014, they lost games in the regular season. 2015 they won a national title and had a regular season loss. 2017, they won a national title and had a regular season loss. This past year, Alabama went undefeated. So Nick Saban won four titles in between his first title and his most recent title, and in every single one of them, they lost a game in the regular season. It is incredibly, incredibly hard to, win a, to go undefeated. When you look at, for example, Clemson, when they won their first national title in 2016, they had a loss. Ohio State, when they won their national title in 2014, They had a loss in the regular season. The reason I say I think Notre Dame will lose a game is because it is hard for me to to say that a team is going to have back-to-back regular seasons undefeated. I'm trying to look at Alabama right now, and Nick Saban has yet to have an back-to-back undefeated regular seasons. I'm looking through it now. Two losses, two regular season loss, uh, regular season loss. Regular season law, yeah. Nick Saban, in his tremendous career at Alabama, has never had back-to-back regular season undefeated season. Now, actually, no, he has. Uh, If you so, in 2008 and 2009, they went undefeated in the regular season, meaning first game to last game. In 20, 2008, they lost to Florida in the SEC title game, then lost to the to Utah in the in the Sugar Bowl. So technically. They went undefeated, but that was oh eight and oh nine. In the dominance since then, Nick Saban has never had back to back regular season undefeated teams. So that's what we're asking Notre Dame to do this year is to have back-to-back undefeated regular season, which is something that Nick Saban hasn't done in over a decade. So, so look in, in Ohio State in 2018, their only loss was to a Purdue team that was barely 500. In 2017, they lost to a five, they got blown out by a five-loss Iowa team. When, when you play a good schedule, even with no Goliath, when you play a good schedule, it's hard to run the table week after week. There's injuries that come up. Other teams just have that week where they're just playing out of their minds like Iowa did to, uh, to Ohio State, like Purdue did to Ohio State. If Purdue played as well against every team that they played as they played against Ohio State, they go undefeated. They lost like six games that year, six or seven games that year. So it, it's just one of those things that happens. And it's just, it's hard to go undefeated. And the only way you can really go undefeated with any consistency in the regular season is in a situation like Clemson, for example, where they play pretty weak schedules, not by choice because the ACC stinks. Well, this year, Clemson lost a regular season game because they had to play a team in in Notre Dame that they, they hadn't really played a whole lot. They don't play that very often. And when they did play big regular season games, it'll always be early, like Georgia or Auburn, very early in the year, they can prepare for it. And, and so Notre Dame's schedule is not as soft as as the typical Clemson schedule. It's just not, and that's why I say it is is very very hard to go undefeated when you play even a good schedule. You don't even have to play an elite schedule; you have to play a good schedule. Ohio State plays a good Big Ten schedule. Uh, Alabama plays a tough schedule every year. Just being in the SEC West makes it a tough schedule. So that's where I that's where I that's why I would say that. I mean, I get your point, and I agree with everything you're saying. But it's it's hard to go undefeated. It really is. Okay. Wrapping up these uh, last few questions, trying to get to these. Uh, Thomas Walsh says, I met the Lacey family at 2018 Ball State game. Great people and still stay in touch. Yes. I have had a chance to meet Jacob Lacey's father. I've never met his mother and his dad is is a really, really good guy. Really good guy. Good family. Um, and yeah, it's he's an easy kid to root for because Jacob's a really good kid too. But again, Jacob's healthy. He will play. John A1 says, who impressed you the most in the defensive coaching staff? I think it's loaded with Elson, Mickens, Freeman, and O'Leary. I don't know if there's one coach that impressed me the most. I think Mike Mickens probably did the best coaching job this spring. When you look at the concerns that we had about corner coming into the year, into the spring, and then how well they played across the board, I think it speaks volumes to the job that Mike Mickens did this spring. And that's partly why I have a little bit more confidence in the cornerback position Going in the fall then maybe i should because of the lack of experience and the lack of proven production but i just have a great deal of confidence in mike mickens that he's going to be able to get those guys ready so i'm, I'm incredibly impressed by the job mike mickens has done all right glenn charles with the bold statement i like it glenn i think this is going to be one of the best defensive teams in all of college football definitely not top five no less than top seven best rushing defense in the country it's just up to the back end i mean there's a lot of truth to what you're saying i mean the back end has to step up and play well and and I don't know if I'm ready to predict that in May, but I don't know if I'm ready to predict that for anybody in May. Would I be shocked if Notre Dame has a top five defense this year? No, I wouldn't. And look, Glenn, I mean, I don't know. If, uh, this is the first time I think you've left a chat. I don't know if you're new to the channel, but you know, we've been talking about this for a while, that if some things fall into place, and to your point, a lot of those things are on the back end, if those things fall into place, if Houston Griffith is as good as we think, if Cam Hart can step up, if Tariq Bracey can – can get his confidence back and be a more consistent player. Do I think this can be a top five defense? Absolutely. They've got a tremendous defensive coordinator. They've got, in my opinion, one of the best defensive line coaches in the business. And in my opinion, Mike Mickens is a very underrated and up and coming cornerbacks coach. And I would not be shocked if when Marcus Freeman eventually leaves, if we're talking about Mike Mickens kind of being to Marcus Freeman, what Clark Lee was to Mike Elko. I could certainly see him being the next in line at defensive coordinator, whether that's Marcus Freeman getting promoted to be Notre Dame's head coach or Marcus Freeman getting a head coaching job somewhere else. Uh, that's the kind of confidence I have in Mike Mickens to, to coach that up, which ties into the John A one's previous question. Hey, here we go. Peyton and Eli didn't even win natties. They're still, they have two Super Bowls each. If, if Peyton Manning would have played for Florida instead of Tennessee, Peyton Manning would have won a national championship. Championships are about, our, our team things more first and foremost, yes, you need great quarterback play. I would also argue that back then great quarterback play wasn't quite as important as it is today. I think now you, you, you could win a a title without a great quarterback. Tennessee did that with T Martin, not Peyton Manning, but I think that kind of fit into just what was happening at that time, who Florida lost and where Florida was trajecting as a program more than it said anything about, about Peyton Manning. Same with Eli. I mean, Ole Miss isn't going to win a national title. The fact that he did what he did there was very impressive. But had they gone to different programs that were better than the ones they went to, they could have won national championships, and Notre Dame is that kind of program. But they also both won Super Bowls, uh, especially for, for Peyton at a place that hadn't won a Super Bowl since, what, the 60s or early 70s, something like that? So, yeah, they they were champions. There's no question about it. Robert says, had Charlie Weiss had a defense like this in 2005 and 2009, could we have come close to a national championship? 2005, yes. Absolutely in 2005. Because that was, in my opinion, the best offense Notre Dame has had since, I mean, uh, of my lifetime. I I can't think of an offense that was better than that 2005 offense. The defense cost them. Uh, Cost them the Michigan State game, it cost them the USC game, and it hurt them against Ohio State they moved the ball pretty well against Ohio state in a lot of instances. They just, they couldn't throw the ball, but the defense just, I mean, Ohio state destroyed that defense in the, in the Fiesta bowl that year. I would say the same thing about 2015, Robert. I think that if 2015 team had the defense that we've had the last couple of years, I think that Notre Dame 2015 team would have had a chance to win a national title. I think that was an elite, elite offense. It wasn't always. I, yeah, I, I absolutely think so. I, I mean, We've seen some teams, times in the past, where Notre Dame has had that offense. Two thousand nine, I don't, I wouldn't say two thousand nine. The reason I say not in two thousand nine is because I don't think the Notre Dame offensive line was nearly good enough in two thousand nine. And the fact that you know Jimmy got hurt early, and he was kind of immobile anyway. I think some of those top defenses would have been good enough to, to pressure him and rattle him, not rattle him like mentally, but just not let him get into rhythm and pick you apart. I think that was a major downfall of that 019. I think the offensive line play wasn't nearly to the level that the 2005 line was when you had you had Ryan Harris, you had Mark Lavorre, Dan Stevenson, Dan Santucci, John Sullivan, I and mean, that was a really veteran, experienced, just good offensive line that could protect Brady and could also open up you know enough run lanes where Notre Dame you had to respect Notre Dame's run game. I think Notre Dame's 9 team was low, had a great quarterback, in my opinion, had great wide receivers, had a very, very talented sophomore tight end in Kyle Rudolph, and and the running back situation was good. wasn't elite, but it was good. The offensive line wasn't close to what it was in 2005 or 2015. I think if you look back at Notre Dame the last 30 years, in my opinion, 25 years, in my opinion – the two teams that had the best chance to win a title were 05 and 15, 10 years apart. If you'd have given either of those teams the, the, a Clark Lee defense or the upcoming Marcus Freeman defense, I think those teams are good enough to win a national title. Tommy Lahren, hypothetical. What would Hamilton look like if he switched over to wide receiver? He'd be really good. I think Kyle Hamilton could do a lot of things at a very high level. Okay. Uh, here we go. Notre Dame is one of the top academic business schools in the U.S. I wonder if their marketing school has had a hand in the pot of gold and targeted billboards. That's a good question, John. I'll look into that. And like I said, I, I think one thing Mark, Mike Elson's done a really good job with is he is, he is trying to have the vision, but then finding people that can carry that vision out, which is what a good. I mean, I think what Mike Elson is doing with this recruiting campaign is probably the best resume builder for him if he ever wants to be a head coach because a a great head coach has a vision and then you find competent people to carry that vision out at a high level and i think that's what a head coach is supposed to do all right notre dame asks do you see lacy moving to three technique i don't i think what a better a better chance there would be that that howard cross plays some three technique and lacy stays at nose i think the way this defense moves i think lacy's better at nose but I think, in theory, he could play three technique. I just don't think that would be the move um, the move that we would go with. Okay, let's hear here. Uh, John Climate, keep hitting the thumbs up, folks. Absolutely. I appreciate that very much. And I believe that is our last question. that we have Michael Hughes has a comment. There's a reason Peyton Manning was notorious for dummy signals and changing his audibles. Players and coaches change teams all the time. Got to protect what you're doing. And that's absolutely right, Michael. Absolutely right. And so that's, that's all I'm saying. I'm not accusing Dylan Gibbons of anything. For all I know, he may have burned his Notre Dame playbook for, so that this doesn't happen. All I'm saying is you have to assume as a coach that that's what happened and be prepared for it. And if you're not prepared for it, that's on you. That's not on Dylan Gibbons. So this was a great show today, everybody. I really appreciate it. Um, John. Oh, here's a good one. This is a good one. John says, do you think Notre Dame can make the playoff with a loss to a non-elite team, no elite teams on their schedule? I think part of that depends on what happens with the rest of the country. But I, I I would say yes. I don't think there's a whole lot of teams, period. And usually elite teams don't have losses. Nobody really beats those elite teams. So it doesn't really happen a whole lot. I think Notre Dame has enough. is going to have enough top 25 wins on their schedule. For example, this schedule to me is going to be a lot better than the 2019 schedule. Even though in 2019 they had a Georgia team that was probably ranked higher than anybody they're going to play this year, after that, it was a bunch of average stuff. I mean, their best win the rest of the year was Navy. This year, I think North Carolina is going to be a top 25 team. Cincinnati's going to be a top 25 team. I think Wisconsin is going to be a top 25 team. I think USC has a chance to be a top 25 team. Uh, I can see a team like Purdue being better than people think. I can see Georgia Tech being a bull caliber team this year. I think Stanford has a chance to be better, although I'm not quite as sold on them because I, I their quarterback situation is, is a concern i could see virginia tech maybe being a little better so i think the depth of the schedule could be could be good this year toledo could be one of the best teams in the mac you know they could be a team that enhances notre dame's overall strength of record so i think that this has a chance to be a, a a challenging schedule but to your point there is no elite team on it but i but i would say that that we've seen notre dame in those situations before i mean 2015 for example they lost to clemson and and so they lost to you know one good team. They had a lot of good wins though, you know. So you point to that year and say, Well, yeah, they won loss, but that one loss was to an elite team. So how's that going to be looked at? So we say, Okay, Notre Dame doesn't really have a situation where you can compare it to they lost to 2017, they lost to Georgia. But say go back and look at the past years. I mean, Ohio State in 2014. Loses to Virginia Tech who went seven and six. They still made the playoff. You know, and I wouldn't say that that team had any elite wins. I mean, they beat Michigan State, who was decent, and, you know, Michigan, who was decent. But they didn't have any great, great wins. When you look at, uh, you know, when you look at teams like, uh, I think, Clemson in 2016 didn't have a lot of great, great wins. You know, Louisville was a really good win. Florida State was a decent win. They weren't any elite wins, but they were clearly a better team. I think if Notre Dame's going to make the playoff with a loss, they have to blow a lot of people out. And the loss has to, in my opinion, be early to middle of the season. And then when they play some of those better teams in the second half of the schedule, they have to be good. And I would say this, John, Jordan, I think Notre Dame is better off losing to a to not one of their best teams in the schedule. I think they'd be better off getting upset by like Purdue in the third game and then beating Wisconsin, beating Cincinnati, beating USC, and beating North Carolina as opposed to you know losing to one of those teams. Because I still believe the best way to the playoff is not to have a great loss, but it's to have bigger wins. I think that ultimately is what the committee has shown us. They're going to value your wins more than who you lost to. And I think we've seen plenty of playoff teams get in with a bad loss because they had a lot of good wins. And I do think Notre Dame may not have an elite win, but I don't know if there's going to be a lot of elite teams this year. I don't know how many teams are going to have elite wins. I think if you have a consistency over good teams – Beat beat those good teams, and I think that's going to lay to get in. Uh, John A one. These are the last two I'm going to take, and then we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. John A one says if if Simon and Foskey break out, who's better in 2021? Foskey clearly Foskey, just because the nature of that position. And then the last one, the, the realist LGND Killer says, who do you got? 2000 Notre Dame 2002 or Notre Dame 2012? I'd go with Notre Dame 2012. I think Notre Dame 2012 uh, was a better defensive team. I think they were challenged more. I think the fact that they had to go on the road and beat Oklahoma, they had to beat a great top ten Stanford team. I think the 2012 team gets a bad rap because of how that season ended. And and you ask anyone associated with Notre Dame, there was so much behind the scenes stuff going involved. The 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 the, the Kakui stuff had kind of started to percolate through the team. Manti was distracted. You had other things going on that 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 team was distracted. That was not the same team we saw during the year. That was not the same team that we saw go on the road and beat Oklahoma. That was not the same team that we saw beat a really, really good Stanford team that year. Um, That was a distracted football team. I think that was a much, much better team than that 2002 football team. I think 2012 was probably Notre Dame's, one of Notre Dame's three or four best teams of the last 30 years, and they get a bad rap because of how the season ended. That was a really, really good football team. Um it just, you know, like I said, you're all, you're usually remembered by how your season ends, not what happens beforehand. And and it's unfortunate that that t- team isn't going to be remembered better. That was a great, great team. Um, everybody, thank you so much for being part of the show today. Before you leave, please hit the like button for us. If you're not a subscriber to our channel, subscribe to our channel, hit the notification bell so that you always get notified when these shows are up. If you're listening via podcast, we appreciate that very, very much as well. Make sure you subscribe to what we're doing. And as always, Make sure you are locked into irishbreakdown.com. I thank everybody so much today for joining us. The people that gave super chats, thank you so, so much for supporting our channel financially. It means a lot to us, but it also means a lot to us that all of you spend your hard-earned dollars and your valuable time with us. And so we appreciate all the support, whether it's financial or whether it's with your time. It all is part of us building this, this Irish Breakdown Notre Dame community that you will all be part of the foundation of. So thank you so much for that. Everybody have a great rest of your Wednesday. Check out my midweek musings today at irishbreakdown.com. I think you're really going to enjoy that. I talk about the seven sophomores not named Tyree, Mayer, or Lewis that I expect to have key roles this season. I talk about Notre Dame's preseason ranking or post-spring ranking on ESPN and CBS and how I think it's kind of nonsense. Uh, And then we have our running back big board video in there as well. So everybody have a great rest of your day. Talk to you all again very, very soon.